Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to progressive standards that absolutely never agreed to. I'm your host, Jeremy Whitley. I write comics, books, podcasts, screenplays, etc. And on each episode, we talk about a piece of work from the horror genre and evaluate it through a progressive lens. We're going to talk about feminism, racial and social justice, LGBT rep, physical and mental disability, and the worlds of female POC and LGBT creators. We recognize horror as a genre, never agreed to this podcast, but my favorite thing about horror movies is being surprised, and there's nothing more surprising than a horror movie that has something important to say, in between the screams, of course. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the 2014 movie, The Babadook, and with me to do that, our fellow comics writer, Ben Kahn, whose work you might know from Heavenly Blues, Griffin, and the upcoming Renegade Rule. Also returning is psych professor, comic psychology consultant, and one half of the Gotham Outsiders, a Batman book club podcast, Chris Carey. And brand new to the podcast is comics artist, art teacher, and human-sized moth person, Emily Martin. Emily, Chris, Ben, did you let him in? Oh, oh, shoot. Were we not supposed to? Oh, oh no. Oh, no. I did this wrong. The one thing you're not supposed to do is let him in. You've got oh, to man. appreciate a movie that makes you terrified of both falling asleep and staying awake. <laughs> <laughs> and driving. Yes. And just being alive, <laughs> genuinely. And having children. Just having children, bad. I mean, I don't need a movie for that, but... Um. <laughs> I, I was already scared. It played on my, str- my strong suits there. <laughs> the things I mean, we're always scared right of, having children bat. and Maroon 5. Essie Davis is the mother, Amelia, and Noah Wiseman is the son, Samuel. What phenomenal performances from the both of them. So amazing. Absolutely. Like, I feel like normally we judge our kid actors by, like, how good at they are, how good are they at being, like, miniature adults. Uh, and this is, like, what a great performance of, like, convincingly being a, a kid, like a little child. A hundred percent, yes. Yes, I was legitimately was terrified very... for him in the uh, <laughs> during the production. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. But I do want to uh, make sure that we say here, because we haven't been saying it before, that there will be spoilers in this podcast. Um, this first section here, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, sort of the basics, trigger warnings, how scary it is, things like that. Not really going to be any anything there, but once we get into talking about what actually happens in the movie, it's going to be nothing but that. <laughs> So be warned uh, if you want to listen to, you know, this part here to see if it's something that uh, you should even give a chance. If it's the sort of thing you want to deal with, that's cool. But once we jump into the movie, then, uh, yeah, all bets are off there. Speaking of which, uh, the movie we're discussing is The Babadook. It is written and directed by Jennifer Kent. It is also based on her own short film, Monster, which is a 10-minute film which has the same basic idea, but none of the deep themes of, uh, of The Babadook. And guys... Oh, what, what, it's almost easier to ask what trigger warnings we don't have to give in this one. Rape, there's no rape in this one. Yeah, hey, that's new and refreshing. No no sexual violence. No sexual assault. What a new thing. What an experience for this podcast. (laughs) 
violence against children. Yeah, yeah I was going to say a new one. Animals. The, the yes. animals one is the new one for this movie, I think. We haven't really had quite um, such graphic violence against animals until now. Yeah. That was extremely upsetting. That was extremely upsetting. We'll, we'll get into it, but. Um, I guess, like, if you have, if you, uh, abusive parents, like, verbally abusive mm-hmm. parents. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely mental illness, uh, insomnia. Um, yeah. I would say ableism yeah. as a trigger. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, and and uh, this, not to, I mean, it's not spoiling anything to say that this movie starts with a car crash. So, like, yeah. if car crashes are, are yeah. things that set you off, uh, then, boy, go ahead and opt out of this one right now. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a bit of gore as well. There's a bit of uh, very sudden and upsetting gore. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, and bugs. Oh, oh bugs. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, did not like that. Did not like that one little bit. <laughs> yes. Uh, and oh, we haven't had too much of this so far in the podcast, but there are a lot of jump scares in this movie. Uh, yeah. They're yeah. not cheap. Um, there's very few hand grabbing people from off panel, sort of, or <laughs> off panel, off uh, right. screen uh, jump scares. <laughs> But uh, yeah, there's there's definitely like, you know, if you don't like something that's gonna spook you, then maybe stay away from this one. Oh, this is this is a scary movie. Yeah, yeah. That's our that's our next question. Rating it on this uh, this scale we've created, going from spoopy to spooky to terrifying to existentially disconcerting. Uh, where, where do we say this one's gonna be? Existentially, existentially disconcerting plus terrifying yeah upsetting is where i would put it just <laughs> deeply zero ups- nothing about it was spoopy no I fun feel like, horror here this is terrifying horror i feel like if you if you have trouble with uh watching people be anxious like i did <laughs> this movie is a journey <laughs> yeah it's, it's almost it's too real that. uh yes yeah, uh, and it's sort of a, yeah. a special like warning on this. Just talking to other people about it, like being a being a parent for me, this really like hit some nerves that I don't think it does for other people. But like, is really unsettling and um, it, problematically familiar in in ways that like we'll get there uh well, speaking of which that is uh it's going to be the end of our spoiler free section uh so we're going to jump into uh what actually happens in this movie um so uh if you if you don't want to hear that it's time to go we'll give you a second all right <laughs> guys um boy <laughs> all right <Yeah. laughs> so my first note was I definitely thought her husband was Adam Brody for a second there. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's wishful thinking. It, it's just this podcast, which is just you. Know, I was like, Adam Brody? Oh, no. <laughs> her husband had been Adam Brody. This would be a very different movie. Where yeah. It would be. He would have been the Babadook. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean. I mean, he kind of was, but anyway. Strong. I mean, yeah, six to one, half a dozen to the other, I guess. <laughs> Um, so yeah, like I said, this movie starts with uh, a horrible car crash. We don't really see 
a lot of it the first time we just sort of see her flipping through the air. Uh, this is Amelia, our protagonist. Um, she's sort of obviously, you don't really see much of the car. You just sort of see her in this state of like, you know, that that state of crashing and flipping where you're sort of weightless and there's glass flying through and like. Oh, okay. So there's glass flying through. Is there also pearls or have I just been in Batman land too long? <laughs> <laughs> I was I like, are there pearls? pearls? <laughs> you know, I remember something distinctly circular, but I think it might've been focus or I mm. lack thereof. Yeah. I've just read 500 comic books of pearls flying. So maybe that's what it was. <laughs> I mean, flying or clutching either way. <laughs> Oh, there's plenty of pearl clutching coming up in this movie, but we're oh, not absolutely. there yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it transitions through that as, you know, big car crash. And then we sort of stick with Amelia as that switches from her flipping through the air to falling into bed, which is a cool effect. Very disconcerting, though. Um, yeah. The visuals in this movie are very disconcerting and lovely in a weird way. This yeah. movie, I'm looking it up. This movie had a $2 million budget and it does a lot with it. It really yeah. does. Yeah, apparently even part of that $2 million was raised through Kickstarter, most of which apparently went to uh, the art department, <laughs> which I assume a lot of it was making a really fucking pop-up book. Pop -up book. <laughs> <laughs> Painting everything gray. What a I actually like the, I like the, the, the pop-up book was my favorite and maybe this is me but like least upsetting part i actually agree with you the that's movie i think it was fun i love i love a man who introduces himself with pop-up book i don't know what to tell you yeah i was really into the craft and there's something i mean i don't i don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves but there was something deeply tragic about watching that book get destroyed yeah he worked hard on that he wanted her to appreciate him I'm thinking about it now and I sort of marvel at the the camera work of making like a pop-up book look so fucking creepy. Like it that point where she, she turns to the page yes, yeah. where like the Babadook kind of folds up and out of it. So, I mean, we're getting uh, a bit ahead of ourselves here. We'll definitely go into detail about that book in a minute. Um, but what we find out is uh, Amelia's son, Samuel, is having issues sleeping uh, because he sees monsters everywhere in his closet, under his bed, etc. So... He keeps ending up in her bed and keeping her from sleeping because he is a child and that is what they do when they get in your bed. <clears throat> I'm not speaking from any sort of experience here. Um, but I mean, that view of him trying to cuddle with her and her just being at like the very edge of the bed just trying to get away from him. Oh my God, it's what so a What a great like establishing moment on them and like their relationship. And just like that close-up of him grinding his teeth in his sleep. Um, yeah, I just all up on her. Uh, my my <laughs> Amara in particular is very hot when she sleeps. So like every time she ends up like uh, snuggled up to me at any point, it's just like I'm already very hot when I sleep. So this is like, uh, it's bad. Um, but yeah, like it, I always get, I always sleep like garbage when, uh, my child is in, is in the bed. Yeah, we also learned that uh, Sam keeps making weapons and um, breaking things and getting into trouble. Sam has a crossbow and uh, some sort of like back-mounted catapult thing, which I think love is pretty it. awesome. This kid needs to get into like a STEM program. 
Oh yeah, um, Sam yeah, is a master engineer. Sam is in first grade. He is a full-on engineering prodigy. Yeah. Yeah. Sam is probably the smartest like horror movie character we have seen so far on this podcast. I will I will go hard for Sam and his brilliance and how good he is. Yeah, he's also Sam- training to be a magician by DVD. So <laughs> we love it. We yeah, love it. Sam is full on like six years old and he is really like monsters are here i am going to personally fight them off and i'm going to use my literal engineering genius to do so sam was living in a disney channel original movie where he was the protagonist (laughs) yeah it's almost um it's almost tragic to see him in this film i mean like i think it's part of the point but, um, you know, this kid who's, like, basically another Goonie who would just, yes. like, survive. Like, he would survive every um, kid's horror movie, you know, or, or horror movie 100%. in general. You know, and, like, you know, he would be able to take Kevin McAllister down, like, anything. <laughs> but um, And he would fuck up that clown from, from It. Oh, yeah. Would, oh, yeah. Thing wouldn't Not, stand a chance. <laughs> um, yeah, no yeah. way. Um, and then, you know, in this film, he's just like part of the monster is this reality that yeah. um, is always trying to take that away from him. Because, you know, if I knew that kid, I would be like, OK, how do I how do we like we were saying, like, get in the STEM program. How do we get this? Right. Um, this is obviously a very, very brilliant kid. Um, however. Yeah. Uh, however, like this this first day we get like um you know she's late she's already late getting sam to school because you know she's tired everything's behind um and then she she goes off to her job amelia goes off to her job at an old folks home uh where um she takes care of of uh old people and there's i don't know is this is this a cute guy is this a creepy guy i don't know how do we feel about the guy i wrote down is he a chip question mark question mark but then we don't get enough of him <laughs> no. to ever know the answer to that um, i, re- I also certainly makes a sexist joke right off the bat but he's like i know it's sexist and so it's funny and i was like is it mm-hmm. he's introduced into the movie with all of the chip red flags and then just isn't in the movie enough to be a chip yeah. but this movie still very much has a chip Yes, he would be the chip of the movie. Um, but I think there's we, something that's desperate about him. I think <laughs> he, he, he noped out of this relationship no, too fast actually, to be like, a chip. We he get comes our first, through uh, for Amelia like later on, but then immediately like overplays it and then realizes that he has stepped into some shit that he is not ready for. And I, we don't actually see him nope out, but he doesn't show up again after that. <laughs> That's we get fair. our first. You know, uh, we get fair. our first immediate family member chip in this yeah. movie. Yes, I agree with you one hundred percent. I have the same note, Ben. Where I'm like, oh. oh, we've been talking about bad horror movie boyfriends, but now we get to talk about bad horror movie families. Chipette <laughs> like, and her daughter, oh, Chipette Junior. Ever since your husband died and you've been seeing like sleep deprivation monsters, you've just been a real drag. <laughs> I I just so as as with Chip that I have wrote fuck Chip five hundred times I do have fuck Claire just five hundred times in my notes and all her friends is one of my notes. Oh, fuck Claire's friend. Oh, I hated Claire's friends. There's I'm excited there. to talk about that scene. <laughs> me too. Me too. But let's let's uh. Oh, the Real Housewives of 
of Adelaide. Of Adelaide. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So uh, I don't even remember what uh, uh, potentially cute guy's name is. He's he's kind of playfully shitty here. Robbie. At, I don't know why I know that. It's very it's very Australian. <laughs> um, and so like Amelia almost immediately in this gets a call from Sam's school because Sam brought a dart crossbow that he made to school. He just threw it in his backpack and just running around with a dart crossbow. Sam would survive a zombie apocalypse at, at <laughs> age six, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah I would follow no, Sam's, him. Sam's, actually, I feel like Sam would thrive at age six. Like, he is ready to, like, <laughs> adjust to the new world order, like, at the drop of a hat. He is ready to go. He is going to come out the other side of this, like, 17 and full-on, like, Mad Max grizzled badass. Yes. Yeah, like, it's sort of the Gary King sort of... He's going to be Mad Max meets MacGyver. <laughs> I would watch that like right now. Six-year-old Mad Max MacGyver. Mad MacGyver. Mad MacGyver. Just a scrappy genius kid surviving in the post-apocalyptic wasteland. Hell yeah. Yeah, where's that miniseries? He's played by Dylan O'Brien. I don't know why, but he is in my head. And his friend, the Babadook. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's like the Beetlejuice cartoon movie uh, version of, uh, of this. Where just uh, suddenly the Babadook is a good guy and like we hang out and have fun. You know, okay. if there had been multiple movies, the that Babadook would have been the good guy. <laughs> well, well he's already kind of a good guy. This is a really fucked up Calvin and Hobbes adaptation. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. That is true. Okay, so we're writing this down. Um, <laughs> pitch later. <laughs> Amazing. Well, apparently. I, I, this is a, an interesting place to, to put this because um, Jennifer Kent, uh, who, who created all of this stuff, apparently owns all the rights to it and has stated that there will never be a sequel to this movie because it's not that kind of movie. It's not That's supposed fair. to have a sequel. Right. That's oh, yeah, fair. Like, yeah, what would you even do? Like, it's such a singular story of grief. I don't know. This, yeah. The yeah. second movie would be Babadook and Pennywise at Pride. What are you talking about? What would it be? <laughs> so this uh, this scene in the school is the uh, the same scene where we learn that uh, there is a... There, so that car crash that we saw happened uh, the day Sam was born. His dad died in the car crash um, before Sam was born. And, like They were literally on the way to the hospital um, when this happened. And uh, so Sam's birthday is also the day his dad died, which is a thing that will come up later. Um, and we learned that the school wants to put a one-on-one monitor with Sam at school. Like they just want to have a, a person there to follow him around and make sure he doesn't shoot people with crossbow darts. Um, what was it? So is it just someone to follow him around or were they suggesting an aid? Because I don't know if this is because I don't understand Australian school systems, but I was like, why is that not a good thing? It sounded more like a monitor than an aid, which like, yeah, I don't know. An aid probably would be a good idea, but also I think Amelia would probably fight against that too, because there is a, she is concerned that Sam already feels like he is too different from everybody else, Um, which boy, he is pretty different from (laughs) the other kids that we meet in this movie. Um, I'd be I'd be interested to learn a bit more about what that would the the how the system works with the monitor. Um, I would be too because I wanted to know if they were really they were actually bad because that was the part I couldn't decide in that movie was were those school officials actually being bad or were they offering her something helpful and she wasn't able to receive it and I don't know what the answer is. 
Well, I think that there, there's got to be some kind of stigma there, whether it's good or bad. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that there's the, the, and especially in that part of the film, um, I can see uh, the protagonist being pretty resistant to um, such things that would, as, as Jeremy said, would uh, um, <laughs> sure. further isolate uh, Sam. Yeah, I think there's that. I mean, we'll get into it as we go along, but she also does get offered help a couple of times in the movie and doesn't take it. So I think that is part of her character as well. So mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. I wasn't I, clear on which one this was. I think it's, it's definitely a thing where she is uh, trying to prove to everybody that she is all right in this story. And, uh, yeah. you know, she's even from the beginning, clearly not. Um, no. And this is, you know, one one example of that. Um, I do think like the teacher in this scene, it's tough because like, I do feel like she's being kind of shitty, but also like having had experience with teachers and my wife being a teacher, like I understand what she's saying, which is like, I've got 22 kids. I can't spend all of my time keeping your kid from shooting crossbows at people. (laughs) That's not something I can be expected to do. I have almost had that exact conversation, but at a college student level. So I felt, I guess I felt for her in that moment where I've had, to have that conversation with someone who hasn't been called like what ra (laughs) hasn't been like ra major hasn't been called in and like look i don't have time to keep all your freshmen from shooting crossbows (laughs) look sometimes they shoot crossbows i don't know what to tell you this seems to have increased since covid but here we are (laughs) i don't know what to tell you vassert's gonna vassert I, all I know is I live in a college town. They set fires like daily. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, Fortunately, since I don't teach, I mean, I, 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 I rarely teach um, like the uh, institutional schools. That sounds weird. Um, but do you, te- do you teach at like the X-Men mansion? What is the alternative? Uh, here? <laughs> y- yes, actually. Oh, crap. Oh, um, you revealed it. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> um, no, I, I I teach after school classes mainly. Okay. Um, and usually the kids are there because they want to be there. Um, and I I haven't had that that experience trying to to separate um students out because a lot of it is about um uh individual um students yeah. and and addressing their individual you know because there's there's enough people that I we, I could be one on one with them. Um. But uh, you can help them with their crossbows. Yeah. So maybe I mean, um, I'm just I'm just really intrigued by like how that how the Australian schools um, and handle crossbows. Yeah. What is the crossbow protocol? Because just in case it comes up in my future, I um, I just realized I don't know what my school's crossbow policy is either. So I mean, do I need to look into this? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Like, how many are you allowed to have? <laughs> I would just assume right? Australian crossbows would shoot boomerangs, but you know <laughs> that's a whole different. I mean, we have to unpack that because, like, then they come back. Mm. Oh, that sounds like a bad idea. Oh, yeah. no. I had to go fast and then come back. <laughs> it's very dangerous. Uh, oh no! Yeah. So, uh, and uh, so, so we leave the school. I have an important before we okay. leave the school, though. I have okay. an important question. Yes. Did he save a child from the Babadook? Is that why he shot his crossbow? I would like to know what happened, because <laughs> he's well, never that's... violent, unprovoked in this movie, right? So, did he save a child? That's the thing is that I'm not sure. Probably. When... Yeah. Yeah. Sam's um, got his shit together. 
I mean, he and did Sam put a like, bolt through a window in the though. first scene where we see this thing unintentionally. That was an accident. Okay. <laughs> he's carrying it around in his uh, clearly hiking backpack. I don't know if everybody in Australia has backpacks that look like they're no, about but people who are ready to survive the zombie apocalypse like Sam is have a hiking backpack. It's just the style, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, so, so now we get to meet the real monsters of this story, not the Babadook, yes. but Claire yes. and Ruby. Um, so Aunt Claire, who is uh, Amelia's sister, and her daughter Ruby, uh, we're going to the, the park with uh, Amelia and Sam to go hang out with them. And uh, boy, Claire is just the worst. Claire is just the worst. I feel bad for oh, this actress be- because in the like grand scheme of I've seen really random things from other countries, I have seen the show that she's on called Doctor Doctor. And she also has the role of being the complete buzzkill that pours like ice water on every situation in that show. And I'm just like, this poor actress, she probably wants to be nice in a movie once, just once. This is she real is definitely the chip. We got she is sister chip. Sister she chip. is sister chip. <laughs> she uh, and it really is that classic like God God horror movie protagonist. Why are you just such a buzzkill now that you're going through horror movie stuff? It's been a whole only seven years since you lost the love of your life. Why are you not fine? You've had to raise a child on your own. Also, like this. It's even worse than that because this scene just introduces her already in the middle of blathering on endlessly like about yes. her her day-to-day inconveniences while uh, Amelia, glassy-eyed, trying not to fall asleep on the, the park bench, gets yelled at for not responding to her, um, you know, She quickly. roughly has the same same job as a a woman in a hallmark movie as far as i could tell which is business 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 (laughs) right she's a businesswoman of the business she does business at the business place yes now did we when we talked about our um our our warnings um i don't know did we say gaslighting Oh, we didn't, but we should have. So yeah let's throw that right there yeah Yeah, before we get too far into it because that a lot i think a lot of the the conflict um yeah. that amelia deals with has to do with gaslighting um in term, you know outside of the whole you know babadook situation um cuz i can't imagine like i don't have kids um i you know i've taken care of a lot of other people's kids but um i uh, th- that whole um standard yeah. working with other parents um talking to other parents especially when they're family and they think that they know better than you um is just such a i mean that is that is a horror movie in and of itself when you are um when when you're put, held against these standards um that of of just one individual who thinks that you should be parenting this particular way um that you need to look yeah. after this because that whole scene there was so much tension in that scene where um amelia is trying to take you know she's trying to take care of her kid but also trying to be there for her sister and meanwhile um sam is is climbing the swing set oh yeah um and uh there's a lot of this tense um 
implied criticism you know you could see through with their with their interaction there that they you know that there was all this all the stuff that amelia was trying to live up to with her sister in order to get you know to just avoid being harped on um which is you know which comes up later um yeah there is sort of in this movie in addition to the actual horror of this movie this sort of quiet horror of like society completely failing this family like i would argue that that is the scarier part of this movie like that was the part that made me the most uncomfortable i mean that's that's what makes everything else possible right is that she is so isolated and her her work is not you know giving her what she needs and her family is not giving her what she needs it's she wakes i mean she's getting no sleep and she's either serving uh her son's like needs or she's serving at this uh, retirement community that she works. Yeah. It's just, it really Absolutely. is like, she really does have not a single moment of a day to herself. Right. The emotional labor that this woman is doing is so intense. I felt it like palpably in my chest, the whole movie. Yeah. Like, I mean, we'll we'll get to it shortly, but the one moment that she does actually take time for herself, like, Oh, oh yeah. It's like oh, it does a great job of showing someone not just tired, but just like emotionally like devastated on a deep level. Yeah. It absolutely. was emotionally exhausting to watch. It was. It was. Yeah. Essie Davis just did a great job communicating just just that level of numbness to life that Amelia was going through. Absolutely. Yeah. Both uh, both Essie Davis and and uh, I can't remember the actor who plays the kid's name. Both of them are astoundingly good in this movie. They are so good, frighteningly so. Yeah, I mean they they are the only ones carrying most of this movie, aside from you know having the occasional encounter with the the nice old lady next door and her horrible sister and her sister's horrible child. Um, yeah. You know, pretty much everything else is is on them. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean that scene ends with the the climbing to the swing set and them running to get him, and then him screaming in the car and oh, the screaming in the car and kicking the seat is like, oh, I, I, that's the part where it's pushing me over the edge. Where I'm like, maybe I don't like this kid. <laughs> maybe this engineering <laughs> prodigy is not that great. This movie does a really good job of being a horror movie before the Babadook ever shows up. Yeah, yeah. It, there's yeah, there, there's so much going on with her relationship with her son that I feel I felt both so compelled to protect him and I like completely understanding her pain simultaneously. We were almost in like Lars von Trier territory. Yeah. Just like dancing across that dancing in the dark. Um Boys, Boyhood would have been a way crazier movie if, like, you get to year, like, year eight, and it's just a straight-up horror movie for just one year, and then it goes back to being, like, regular coming of age. Yeah. And it's, like, by the time you get to 24, it's like, hey, remember that time when you had to fight that werewolf? That was a crazy summer. That wasn't even, like, a a metaphor for anything. We just did it. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we more or less fast forward from there to, um, and the next big thing that happens is they uh, sit down to read a bedtime story 
and Sam is allowed to choose a book. Um, so Sam pulls up this, this red covered book that Amelia has never seen called Mr. Babadook. And, uh, boy, this is, this is what we were talking about, about a creepy ass book. Um, I could just fucking read Clifford again, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah. still maintain that I love a man who has to introduce himself by a handcrafted pop-up book. Look, like that's how we should all enter all relationships. Again, if yeah. they put the most of their budget towards art direction, it paid off because it's so it's so well done. Like the drawings are so weird and creepy and off-putting and atmospheric and just oh, just great art. We talk yeah. about, I think, during the first Purge movie, how funny the like pre-movie is. And I just want to shout out the moment when the Babadook is like definitely cutting out the like little lines and gluing it together and is so <laughs> proud of himself. <laughs> Yeah, he's and apparently he's writing the whole thing in like charcoal from the look of it. He's he's yes. just drawing it in charcoal. He must have a fantastic yes. fixative because that's I mean, and <laughs> as much as it changes and all that kind of stuff, all those letters stay crystal sharp. Crystal yeah. sharp. Crystal sharp. <laughs> um, he is doing the most on this book, and crystal. we support it. Yeah. I mean, the binding is just immaculate. Oh, yes. Like, we need to stop and appreciate the Babadook's good qualities. And craft <laughs> is one of them. Yeah, he's, I mean, you know, you could argue that his, his art is not great, but I think it's more a stylized thing, right? Like, it might I mean, have it to looks do exactly with his, like, like sharp him. fingers. <laughs> but... Like, I wish we'd gotten to see, like, a credits page. Like, you just open it up and it's like, random house. What the fuck are you pu- like? What imprint are you publishing? <laughs> There's a dedication at the beginning. <laughs> Copyright 2014. Two pe- two Bobby my, my heart and inspiration. <laughs> two Pennywise. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So um, next we're going on uh, AO3. And we're looking up that ship. Um, we are going somewhere. down that hole. Yeah. Oh, it's not just there somewhere. It is prominent. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, um, I've, I'm just, you know, we're going to have to oh, whittle down a little bit. Oh. Uh, how, how many subscribers on Patreon for us to live read a Pennywise Babadook fanfic? Oh, that'd be good. We would have to be characters, too. Like, all of us. Like, I if love they're it. Ripped, the one, the thing that is interesting about the Bob, the Babadook book. First of all, I just want to shout out to Sam, impeccable uh, taste, um, <laughs> always living up to those standards. I mean, I don't want to talk about standards, but yeah, brilliant as ever. The book itself almost looks like a um, like advanced reader copy or something like that because it seems oh, like an arc. A, yeah, 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 and it's a like a in a scrapbook. Like yeah, it's unfinished, which is really interesting. Um, oh yeah because the pages at the end yes yeah yeah, and and i if i recall correctly it wasn't it may have been or no it couldn't have been ring bound because it was a pop-up book but Mm -hmm. it was like it was basically a scrapbook that had been turned into a pop-up book um that had been sort of traditionally bound maybe even um fan or i can't remember the word for it anyway um but uh yeah and that that uh, leads me to a talking point that I'll bring up later because there was something, there's some interesting stuff that was just vaguely dropped uh, about the book oh. later. Um, I also am curious, has anyone found a book that terrified them 
when they were young or, or after. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Most uh, things terrified me when I was young. Book, but <laughs> I was really scared of the Monster Mash. What? The song? That's so cute. I just, all those monsters and they're socializing. Like, who knows what they're planning? <laughs> That's amazing. I swear to God, like, I was legitimately like the monster match would come on and I would just be like, fuck no, I'm out. I'm out. I ain't do I ain't doing no monster match. Monsters are mashing. Uh uh-uh, uh I ain't never, I ain't sticking around for that. <laughs> I love it. I mean, yeah, yeah, there is something something uh suggestive about a bunch of monsters mashing together. <laughs> also, Dracula just totally gets screwed. Like not literally, but maybe. maybe. But maybe. What is the mash after all? Yeah. It's the Monster Mash. It is. It's the Monster Mash. Wow. Nothing anyone else is going to say is going to top that. <laughs> I, I, I think I firmly established that I didn't start watching horror until I was an adult. Uh, I, I could have a horror movie described to me and have nightmares for months as a child. As I know, I've still never seen The Blair Witch, but I know what happens in it. And it scared me as like an eight-year-old. One of my favorite uh, Ray Palmer lines in Legends of Tomorrow is when they're walking down a creepy hallway and Brandon Roos Ray Palmer goes, I've seen enough horror movie trailers to know where this is going. <laughs> I love it. Yes, that's that was me. So I guess this is the, <laughs> the awkward point where I talk about how I watched The Crow when I was uh, like 12 and was obsessed with it. So... Yeah, and uh, my favorite movie at 14 was Natural Born Killers. Wow. Oh, boy. Now, to be yeah. fair, though, That's for upsetting. all that I couldn't watch horror, this makes no sense at all. For all that I couldn't watch horror, I did read serial killer stuff, like real life ones. Oh, yeah, true constantly. crime? Yeah, oh, true, true crime, crime about that, serial killers. That's a totally different shebang. That just, I don't know what part it of hits our different. brains, like true yeah. crime hits, but we're just like, oh. Like, how many people do we know that are like, oh, I can't do murder, I can't do horror, like, I don't do scary stories, like, I'm sorry, he did what with her kidneys? Like, go on. <laughs> I did just have a guest in my class who's studying forensic psychology come in and explain Jeffrey Dahmer, and I was, like, riveted. I was, <laughs> I was transported. I do have it recorded. Do you want to oh hear God. it? Yes. She would die of, of happiness to know that people are listening to it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> um, I can't watch Natural Born Killers anymore. It's too violent. Um, but anyway, so, San- okay, where were we? <laughs> okay, actually, I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of a departure here just because uh, the book itself is actually created, uh, was actually drawn by an illustrator named Alexander Juhaz, J-U-H-A-S-Z. I'm not 100% sure on the pronunciation there. Um, Looking who, that up. Uh, went to uh, SVA in New York, uh, School of Visual Arts. He has a BFA in illustration. Uh, he's done a bunch of like commercial stuff, but he also uh, has several other like big projects. He did the illustrations for uh, the the Shins Rifles Spiral, a bunch of stuff for uh, United States of Terra, um, and the uh, Little Prince. Um, so, oh wow! Like oh, this guy. Cool yes. Um, yeah, he did the designs and puppeteering for the uh, the stop motion Little Prince that came out a few years back. 
Nice. Right. Good for him. Very good. But yeah, just, you know, shout out because we're talking about that, uh, that book so much. It's, uh, and, and we're, anyone, we're all on the comics spectrum when, somewhere there. When the yes. human actor in a makeup Baba Duke show up, was it like as scary as you were expecting from the book? Or was there a little bit of like, that's what you are? Like, was there a little bit of <laughs> you, like. So like after we saw, you mean after we saw like the paper cutout version? Yeah, because to me, like the paper cutout was just so scary and atmospheric. I think it, yeah. it works very much yeah, to this movie's like, favor that the like the guy in makeup just showed up. Yeah, it was you definitely one of those head on. Yeah, he. I think he was scary when the first time we see him, like through the window in the other house. But definitely, the closer he got, it was the shark and jaws situation where I was like, "Huh, oh, okay." Yeah. <laughs> the movie did do a great job of keeping him at a distance and like in places and shadows and distances where you can't really make him out and that and every time there was a jump scare and you just realized like he was there and the characters just didn't see it it was always terrifying and he gets more and more pronounced throughout the the thing and even after you start to see him there are you know outlines and shadows and things that look like the babadook in the background in several yeah there's really only one or two times where he's straight up like crawling on the ceiling and you get a close-up on his smile and he's going like baba duke and i'm like you're a pokemon (laughs) 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 oh my gosh (laughs) the phone call was very pokemon baba duke 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 (laughs) duke duke baba duke i've been living on that line i keep thinking of i've been thinking about it all day just walking around going baba duke 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 Look, yeah. Martin Reynolds' Detective Babadook is gonna do great. <laughs> oh, amazing! Uh, so I, I think the creepiest Sam thing. That's the sequel, Sam and the Babadook solving crimes. Yeah, Detective Babadook. <laughs> yes, we're here for it. Oh no! I think with the Babadook's actual look when it showed up in the movie, the thing is that I actually saw the Babadook first. <laughs> so and and also fan art. Um, yeah, I've mostly seen yeah. fan art at this point. And so I knew what the Babadook looked like. And I actually, I'd, I was not as familiar with the book illustrations. So I actually like the book illustrations quite a bit. because Oh, the book illustrations were amazing. Yeah, I mean, they, they, I, to me, I think they were superior than the, the, the reveal of the Babadook. Like you said, the, the shark in, the, in, in Jaws. Yeah. But um, there's something weird about the Babadook's like, makeup that is weirdly like a minstrelly to me just the big like mouth um, right so that is that is something that came up so rather than doing the work that i was assigned i spent a long time on the internet today just going down the rabbit hole that was academic papers about the babadook um of which there are a lot i have informed jeremy that i am now going to work my hardest to get published an academic paper about jennifer's body because there are none but um, please <laughs> i'm gonna it's gonna happen i'm gonna get it done anyway <laughs> as someone who just wrote an academic par- paper about himbos i believe in myself anyway where can i read it uh currently just from me but you can feel free <laughs> okay sounds good <laughs> it's my favorite thing i've ever written and i have written a thesis so that is sad but true <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, but personal the enjoyment is important <laughs> 
It is important. Uh, the side note there being like a lot of the academic papers bring up the the look, the menstrual show makeup. Um, so I, I don't know if it's intentional, but certainly we're not the only people to have noticed it. And it does seem to tie into what she's watching on TV as well. Yes. So the, the character design is actually based on a Lon Chaney character from a movie that I think they show part of in that it's apparently like a lost movie. Uh, it's called, I think, London. Yeah, London After Midnight. And it's on, uh, like, it's it's on uh, IMDb, and you can see kind of what the character design looks like. But he's got the top hat and the, you know, white face and the big eyes and big big mouth. Um, you know, it's creepy, like like several Lon Chaney monsters are. Um, but I, I looked this up. Yeah, I think. I, I don't think there was intention to go at all like minstrelly with it. Um, but it uh, if, like if you watch, you watch uh, Monster, which is the, the short film she did, it's a completely different character design, but has a, like a similar, uh, well, that, that film is black and white, but it has a similar like, you know, black and white paint on the face kind of look, mm-hmm. but okay. it's a, a very different so design. I to the wonder face. if, I wonder if, just because I'm also looking at a picture of the Babadook, like a close-up right in the face, and I wonder if part of the goal was to try to make, like, almost make the lips disappear and instead seem like there isn't a mouth, just like this horrible, teeth-filled, like, mm. hole in its face. Maybe, Like a yeah. void, like just an awful void. Yeah, it's certainly yeah. that across. When, like, it's, I don't know if that they succeeded, but I just... I wonder if that was what they were going for. Yeah. Idea. Well, the fact that you barely see the Babatook in the movie, I think, you know, I think that the, the, the issue there is um, less pronounced, you know, cause a lot of us, yeah. the, the, there's only one flash of its face and you can, you can't tell if it's like lips or a mouth or a hole or, or whatever. You just sort yeah. of see the, right. the grinning mouth and the, the teeth. Well, oh, when she's like, when the moments when you know it's there, but you don't see it are the most effective. Like when she's hiding under the blanket and you know it's hovering right Ugh. over her. Yes. Yeah. That scared the shit out of me. The yeah. noise, like the sound in this movie is so effectively used. Because in that God, scene, there's the sound the of it. As creepy as the sound is, the fucking roach sounds in this movie. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, there's, there's also this like static sound that is pure, like it seems to be suggesting her mental health at different points in the movie that was so uncomfortable to watch because I was like, ah, my head sounds like that sometimes. Yeah. They do a lot with like fading out sound and warping sound and things like that. Yeah. It was so it was, effective. Yeah. A way that I feel like I've only really seen use that effectively in like the Sam Raimi grudge movie. Uh, where you know, oh, interesting. sounds would just blend into the sound that the creature made. Um, I did want to read through the, uh, the actual text of the Babadook book that we get in this first uh, scene with the book because it is so like thematically tied to yes. what the Babadook yes. is about, both as a movie and as a character. Please um, read us a bedtime story. It's in a word or it's in a look. You can't get rid of the Babadook. If you're really a clever one and you know what it is to see, then you can make friends with a special one, a friend of you and me. His name is Mr. Babadook, and this is his book. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. Babadook, duck, 
duck. That's when you know that he's around. You'll see him if you look. This is what he wears on top. He's funny, don't you think? See him in your room at night and you won't sleep a wink. I'll soon take off my funny disguise, take heed of what you've read. Once you see what's underneath, you're going to wish you were dead. That's where it ends the first time we read it. There's just a bunch of blank pages after that. Yes. Um, and boy, is that a creepy it, poem. Yeah. yeah. It also Love does it. this great thing of setting up the three sharp knocks thing, which um, it's not like he says the Baba Duke, Duke, Duke bit, but there are a couple of different scenes where like she is awoken from bed by a, and like they don't ever yes. say what it is. And it's just like, oh shit, that was three knocks. You never know exactly when it is that she, quote unquote, left the let the Baba Duke in. I like know. what? Like what in the exact movie is it? You can't pinpoint the exact moment. No. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, I, love I it. feel like there's a scene that's highly suggestive of that that we'll we'll get to in a bit. But yeah, it is a slow a slow climb to there. Yeah, she stops reading the book and then <laughs> hides the book, which I understand. Um, well, Sam yeah. freaks out. He he's. Yeah, freaking he, out and like screaming he thinks the babadook is gonna hurt the boy in it which obviously it is with rightfully, boy, like, rightfully is he worried yeah but have you ever had the experience of so i i babysit i don't have kids but i babysit have you ever had the experience where you're reading something to a kid and you are just like your eyes are just a little ahead on the page and you're like oh shit i've picked a bad book because i have had mm. <laughs> not quite to that effect but i've certainly done that before where i was like what do i do now <laughs> Well, I did think that was another when they're reading the book, like, and she's just reading and reading, reading, and then it cuts to him crying, him sobbing in her lap, and yeah. she still got the book, and it's just like, at what point during that reading did he just start ball, like sobbing, yeah. and she and she just kept reading, not paying him any mind. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah, started reading sure. aloud, thankfully, and was just like flipping through yes. trying to figure out what the right. hell went, went went wrong with this book, but. Yeah, it's a it's a real rough scene. Followed no, this, very closely please. by another real rough scene. They're um, all rough from here. Let's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a rough movie. It is a rough movie. Ugh, it's it's a lot. Yeah, well, it's it's uh, followed fairly quickly by a scene of her uh, finally getting some time in bed to herself, deciding to take advantage of that time with with her uh, her vibrator only to be immediately interrupted by, uh, by Sam just at the, the worst possible time. Um, mm. And it, it really gives this sense of like this loneliness and longing and everything that sort of pervades so much of this movie yeah. of like, we she see just her, needs something. Yeah. And we see her the night before watching, like you know, flipping the channels and seeing like the romance movies. And this comes up several times where she's like, there's this desire for connection and of all types of any type. And it really, it stings in this scene. That This is a part of the movie too, that, that I start wondering if this is actually a period piece because hmm. of the technology of the phones and everything. Maybe it's because it's 2014 and I, I don't know, but like there was something about it that, the technology, the fact that they were still using landlines, um, I and and the vibrator that looked like a cordless phone, I <laughs> with a cord. I was wondering if there if it was supposed to be sort of 
um, set in a past or or sometime other than contemporary because I did it, there was something about it maybe it was it's just my um, ignorance of uh, Australia but um, that mm. I wonder that it was supposed to evoke a particular uh, a particular time that wasn't I wondered present. I wondered too if that had to do with uh, something we haven't gotten into yet in our conversation but the movie gets into subtly which is the her her class level like how much wealth she has which is very little as mm-hmm. far as we could tell so that could have been it also oh yeah yeah yeah. I, yeah yeah she's she's clearly struggling um I, yeah. I think there's an intention to make it sort of unclear what time it is um because there's there's not a lot of indicators there's um you know i think having a landline phone sets it at kind of any time whereas you know having a having a cell phone, whatever model cell phone it is, really dates it, um, as, yeah. as we've seen from The Matrix. Um, <laughs> the, the future sci-fi movie where everybody has very, uh, very sleek-looking flip phones that have no, no sort of applications or anything. Um, I miss the flip phones. It was just so satisfying. Like, swing, you flip it open, and it's like, I'm having an important phone call in the future. <laughs> Crossblade <laughs> of uh, phones. Just... Yeah. There, there is like, times. You walk Definitely. by, you, like, you flip open that phone, you're walking by, and they're like, oh, there goes a business person. They're talking business. <laughs> it's, that business is so important, they can't even wait to get to the office. They got to talk, like, now on the streets. It is kind of like putting on your sunglasses. Yes. Just, it is an indicator of a thing that is happening. That's <laughs> like, I have my phone out. That means I exist and I'm overwhelmed by the act of existing. <laughs> um, as long as we don't get uh, to the point where we're missing those old Sprint phones where it used to just make that loud chirping sound when somebody would like radio you over your cell phone, basically. <laughs> I hate those old things. Uh <laughs> Let's bring back pagers. <laughs> really? I mean, yes, we're bringing the beepers back. Not as not for their functionality, purely as a fa- as an aesthetic fashion item. Ben, as long as they come with rock? Tamagotchis in them. I have yes. Thirty Rock. Yes, okay. I was Dennis, thinking about the pager Dennis from Duffy, Thirty Rock. The as well. Dennis Duffy, the beeper king. Yes, <laughs> that's that was my immediate thought as soon as you were like, "Let's bring back pagers." It's like. Oh. <laughs> Dennis Duffy. We are five seconds from Ben talking about what a rat king is. <laughs> if there's any good rat king based horror movies. <laughs> yeah, that is a missed opportunity. I'm sure it's out there. Another somewhere. thing that should go that would go well in our underexplored subgenre of urban based horror movies. I feel like this is true. I'm sure there is a sci-fi channel Saturday morning like made for TV movie about that. It's there. It exists. Yeah, I'm pretty it's sure like there's Henry a Jersey Rollins Devil movie out there. So. Yes! Unless yes. you want to be like Rat King, the Rudy Giuliani story. <laughs> <laughs> That's a horror movie in its own right. Uh, the real horror was the lives we were living all along. To, qu- to quote him today, what do they think we are? Idiots says man publicly tricked by Borat. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if I was if I was Rudy Giuliani, I would just find a corner to go die in at this point. 
I mean, there's no, there's nothing he can say or do that will not be colored by, you know, the last five years of his life. It's true. Like, what's his epithet going to be other than just letting out a long sigh? (laughs) (laughs) Rudy Giuliani. We liked him for about a year there. Rudy Giuliani. I, I really, I honestly just think it should be Rudy Giuliani, quit while you're ahead. That's good, yeah. Yeah. Active. All right. So, yeah, this is also the point, uh, getting back to the movie, this is the point where Sam starts saying that he doesn't want anything to happen to Amelia. He uh, He's very worried at several points during this that uh, she is going to die, she is going to go away, um, something is going to happen to her. Sam very much thinks he's in Poltergeist, not realizing that he is much closer to being in The Shining. (laughs) I think it's interesting, though, if we get in, this seems like a a place to bring up the theme of grief that is in this movie, right? Because he, he is acting this way that he thinks she's going away because of his father. I mean, he's the one who's actually in danger in this situation, but it was his father that he lost. I mean, he has that he talks to like a picture of his father and he's always like, don't yeah. worry, dad, I'm going to protect her. And the then- most heartbreaking line I think that he gets in the movie, which I think happened already at this point is that she won't let me have a dad. Oh, uh, we, I feel like the movie isn't very, it's very in your face with the basement being mm-hmm. a symbolic representation of her grief. I think so too. But I think the thing that's interesting though is like his grief too is really effectively presented. It's not forefront in the way that her grief is, but absolutely he grieves like a child grieves. Like that, it it's perfectly presented in this movie. I mean, he has a line, you don't own him. Yes. That she is, that's the same conversation yeah. that I'm talking yeah. about. It, is. it happens like she, somewhere around here. She really is. She's monopolizing the very memory of him and really denying him the ability to grieve. And he's he's strangely upfront about it, you know. And yeah. it's 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 interesting because you know at, at certain points, kids will either deny or or they'll just be um, talking off the cuff about these things. But I think one of the first, I think it was at the school, one of these opening mm-hmm. scenes where he's like, "Oh, my daddy's in the graveyard." That's and, oh, oh, it's a grocery store, right? Because they're ta- She's just randomly talking to another mom, and he That's says this. Right, yes, that scene yeah, is so she, effective. So we gotta too. Go, we gotta go home to see daddy, and he says. My daddy's in the graveyard. And just, it just everyone's put off by that so much. Yeah. Um, it was like people grow up, not I the child, like like but the literally black, everyone else. Yeah. I feel like there's a black comedy version of it where he just keeps saying that. He was like, he's the, he's the fucking undertaker. Like he, he works. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to stop telling people your daddy is in the graveyard. Well, he is mom. Yeah. It's either that or he's the Twyla of this movie, you know, just, <laughs> <laughs> Always just has a, just the saddest story. I've seen enough Shit's Creek to get that reference. <laughs> I love that reference. That's perfect. He is the Twyla of this movie. Yeah, everybody else is just having a nice conversation. He's like, he's just dropping, just dropping the unknowingly sad bar in the middle of there. <laughs> Right. Um, Which also effectively talks to the other thing that lots of people draw out of this movie, whether it's intentionally there or not, which is the read of Sam as uh, on the autism spectrum. Um, I I think that with the, the lines like that, with the lines that he's like his father, you know, he 
says whatever he thinks. There, there's a lot of lines that read that way. This um, may be having been me reading a lot into like my experiences, mm-hmm. like growing mm-hmm. up as a child. But to me, I saw a lot of like uh, hyperactivity disorder. Yeah, ADHD and, was the other yeah. one I thought of too. Yeah. And I, I've seen both reads, or sort of just generally that he has uh, he's neurodiverse in some way, and like the the special needs there and parenting of special needs there is certainly one of the more common ways to read this movie. And I think it, I think it makes sense. He's definitely a gifted yet. he's definitely a gifted child that does have special needs and boy does it seem like this of all the fears of motherhood like that is one just like not being able to give your child the attention that like they need not wanting to give your child the attention that they need yeah ADHD and autism really I think center on I mean they both exhibit largely in this uh hyperfixation which is very clear with mm. Sam where you know he, he has one thing that he concentrates on whether it's uh you know th- his stuff in the basement or building weapons or the magic bo- yes the magic and yeah. i think there's an element of um th- th- confrontational uh reality there it, it, along with a lot of other elements in this movie with the grief and the um yeah the struggle of uh Amelia is also the not only parenting a um you know the a full-time child um but the dealing with the stigma from other people yeah. of having you know a, a quote-unquote special needs child um and that's something that you know no matter who you are you, it's it's a horrible horrible thing and it's a it's a very real horror to deal with the people like um people rejecting a child for not being quote-unquote normal um or judging you for the you know for your kid being not quote-unquote normal um and you know and of course he does get his share of one-on-one judgment as well that we'll get into but um yeah uh, i think that was sorry go ahead it was Oh, one of the more upsetting parts of the movie was just hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. The 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 very real element of that, um, and in Amelia's conflict, yeah. um, and to the point where you'd get uncomfortable because you know yeah. how how real that is. I think there there's an element too when you're watching it. Um, I, at least for me, watching it, I, I loved Sam so much. There was like this reaction anytime people reacted to him, where I was like, how do people not see how incredible this kid is? They are focusing on you know, some behavioral problems that he has that make real sense if you pay attention at all, but they miss completely how incredible he is. Early on, like when he's, when they're at the, uh, the playground yes. uh, with Claire, and he's trying to get her attention and he's like, he's climbing up on top of like the swing set. Yeah. I thought that was going to be like, oh, look, he's like, he's in he's climbing, he's going to fall, he's going to get hurt. It's going to be like, oh, like Amelia isn't paying enough attention. She's like letting him be hurt. Instead, no, he is standing on this round, on this very thin metal round beam, like eight feet up in the air with perfect balance yes this kid is we, not we are here kid. for sam this kid is not this kid is an engineering genius 
who is with acrobatic skills. Fuck it, Bruce Wayne is going to adopt this kid if Amelia. A hundred percent, yes. Sam would be a perfect Robin. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, so uh, a lot of the stuff we're gonna. Do do robins typically not have dads? Uh, well, we we don't have time to get into all of that. Okay, sorry, that's a different podcast. I was gonna say, come on, Gotham Outsiders, where we <laughs> frequently have time to get into all of that. Do you want to spend two hours talking about Tim Drake? Our favorite segment, Tim Talk. Excuse me, I feel I feel directly attacked. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, so I was going to say this next day is actually when we get into a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. So uh, let's run through some of what's going on. Um, so Amelia uh, wakes up late because of, of all this insanity. Um, and uh, she makes the excuse to her work that her kid is sick. Instead, she ends up uh, because her kid sort of got kicked out of school, sort of left school. Uh, mm-hmm. She ends up leaving her with uh, Claire um, oh, Claire. And uh, she, Amelia goes off to work. Uh, and then, you know, her her buddy, possible romantic interest, maybe cute guy, I don't know, whatever. Uh, possible chip, not sure. Yeah, totally steps up and uh, says, you know, oh, you're possible you're hit it and quit let it. Me, yeah. Let me cover for <laughs> you. Um, you know, you're uh, the boss just, you know, checks out at noon. So I'll, I'll cover your stuff and you can go home and be with your sick kid. Um, and Amelia doesn't actually have a sick kid. So she goes to the mall and gets ice cream. Um, takes like I love this one, for her. Takes I, one second to herself. And I like, love as soon this as for her. her. I was phone, like, yes. Yeah, as soon as she checks her phone, discovers that she's missed 10 calls from Claire um, already. Um, okay. So what Claire calls her over? I, this mm-hmm. is, okay. I am an aunt. <laughs> this is something that I am. She calls her because her kid scared her, the other kid with a story. First of all, that is not an emergency. Mm-hmm. Claire, handle it. You're an adult. You are an adult. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, he's been telling her, been telling Ruby about the Baba Duke. This is, uh, this is creeping her out. Yeah, for the record, this is essentially like being like, hey, I'm going to tell you about an episode of the Adams Family that's a little spicy. <laughs> and then it, is, like, it is as if she just, <laughs> now to be fair, I have met these mothers that would do that, that would send mm-hmm. a kid home for having recounted a scary story. I have been the kid sent home <laughs> in that scenario. <laughs> their own nephew home. Like that's called their mom. That's... As far as she knows, Amelia is at work at this point, and she has right. called her ten times while she is at work to get her to come pick her kid up because her kid told her his cousin a scary story. Like that's that like, doesn't even rank down, in like Claire. that doesn't even rank in like the top hundred worst things that I've gotten into with my cousins. This is true. <laughs> this is Claire true. sucks. Like Claire is just the worst. Yeah, Claire is a real villain here. Claire, congratulations! You you are this movie's winner of the golden chip. (laughs) (laughs) She might even—I'm going to say something bold. She might have even stepped over the chip line and become a worse person because she's like, if the scale is like one two chip, she is honestly like one like chip like one point three chips. She's yeah, more, yeah, she's more of a chip than chip, 
But Chip is just such a perfect benchmark for that specific kind of horror movie character. Chip at I, least uh, impaled somebody with a pool uh, skimmer. So Chip was never mean to the child, his sister, in this yeah. movie. So <laughs> oh, no, just throw it out there. Claire, yeah. way worse. Let me, let me put this to you. Uh, Claire is right there with the sister from The Invisible Man. I haven't watched that yet, but I, I believe you. Either. Yes, that's I'm one that's on the list. But yeah, she's she is going to be on the list whenever we get to that movie because uh, she's awful. Uh, she literally the opening scene to that movie is uh, the main character like going through extreme measures to run away from her boyfriend in the middle of the night, and having called her sister to like come pick her up from this spot in the middle of the woods near their house. Her sister shows up late, and then when she gets in the car, obviously frantic, her sister's like, what? What are you doing? What's, a, what's going on? What's the big deal? And doesn't go yeah. anywhere. <laughs> doesn't drive until, like, everybody's clearly in danger. There is 100% a, a phone call that amounts to that in this movie that was infuriating. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so this is... Um, on the ride home, Amelia is telling Sam that the Babadook isn't real. Sam is saying that he's going to show himself to her, but he wants to scare her first. This is also Babadook then... believes the Babadook believes in a proper courting ritual. You've got to scare her first. <laughs> you got to scare a girl first before you can really show yourself to her. <laughs> Start with the, the pop-up depth of book. Horror. Yes, you introduce yourself via pop-up book. <laughs> like a calling card, but better. Look, some yes. people have business cards. Some people have resumes. Some people Baba- slide. Yeah. Some people slide into your DMs. Some people slide you a pop-up book. Okay, I'm just saying. I prefer the book. Baba Duke knows that when it's 2014, when this movie came out, you know what? You got to be innovative if you want to make a good first impression. Indeed. <laughs> you have a lot of options to be on how to be haunted in these competitive times. We thank you for choosing Baba Duke <laughs> Book Services. I think I need to rethink my portfolio now. <laughs> This is giant. Although, <laughs> although that around. hat does have real pickup artist energy, so yeah. Oh, it it does. It does. That's fair. <laughs> uh, so this is this is when they get home. This is where uh, she is cooking dinner and uh, discovers that Sam has disappeared into the basement and is getting into all of uh, his dad's stuff down there. Is pulling out pictures and um, mm. looking at stuff and playing with his with her dad's things or his dad's things this is also where we get the first uh sign of the babadook this this first hat and coat combination that's just sticking around yes babadook is a dapper gentleman and he wants you to know it which yeah, this... remind me which how it uh how exactly that part it's... went down it's just on the wall after their argument. He, she looks over, and it's, I guess, the dad's clothes. Um, right. The hat, yes, the, the jacket the, hanging up in there. Yes. And it's in the, not in the basement, as clear as it'll be later, but like it has the same general look and feel to it. Yeah, it's very artfully done because it is obviously the dad's stuff, but you still can you still sense a presence there. It also uh, looks like it's about to tip its hat. Its arm is up slightly, like it's about to tip its hat to you. I just love that detail. Yeah, it's it's hanging there, but it's hanging unnaturally. 
in a way yeah. that wouldn't make sense for this coat to just be hanging there. But it's the sort of thing that you would go, no, it's, it's crazy. I'm just seeing things, um, yeah, which is a thing yeah. this movie does really well. <laughs> it really does. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to say any more about the basement. I mean, we already talked a little bit about the symbolism there. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how, especially at this point, how much there's talking about in terms of like set design or cinematography, just that it like, the basement is uh, the memory of Oscar, like mm-hmm. in the yeah. form of a location. Yeah. Like it's hard. I feel like it's hard to kind of hard to, and I'm sure there's a way because, you know, analysis is funny like that, but to me, I would find I found it hard to read the movie in any other way, but then like the basement is the memory of Oscar and the grief of losing Oscar. Well, I think that's be absolutely very true. directly personified later on. Yeah, yeah, the basement it does. A, they do a really good job of making the basement as a space kind of amorphous. Yeah, um, it's it's a very subconscious place, um, and in in certain ways sacred uh to amelia you know especially with the the her her lover stuff you know her her the the uh the cherished memories there that um you know she doesn't really want to have uh be she doesn't want them to be disturbed i mean the movie kind of isn't subtle in that like it starts with her not even acknowledging that the basement exists to her being forced to go into the basement at least once a day as yeah. part of yeah. her more healthy new life routine. Absolutely. Like, and the movie is clearly moving in the sense of grief cannot be ignored. It cannot be. Yeah. Uh, well, there's sh- a line. Is it in the original book or why? Well, I don't know. I can't remember where this comes up, but there's a line where if you ignore him, he gets stronger. It's in the, it's the next time we'll it's, read the book. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I knew it came up somewhere, but that definitely is, that's the grief, right? The like the mm-hmm. denying of it makes it stronger. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. After after wonder... this is where we get the uh, they're eating porridge or whatever that's supposed to be, and finds glass. Just pull the beige. Oh yeah, the glass. Oh, the oh. glass in the porridge was so stressful. Ugh. Even and without she... the glass, I was stressed by how much it just looked like a bowl of paste. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's very fair but like the glass I, and the fact that she thinks at this point that it's her son doing it oh it was very stressful yeah and it's just such a weird thing that like you know she looks in his food and it's not there and like it seems to be this moment of like she's grateful that there's no glass in his but then also still can't quite trust that but also there's none in his did he put it in hers like uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of feelings and thoughts in this moment and there's glass the same like looking pieces of glass that shattered around her in the first scene in the car yeah Mm -hmm. um and then there yeah there's this trust this this or i should say mistrust um and suspicion that she develops yeah uh towards her son which is so crazy but like you know you you see it happen and it kind of it's the progression is um, strangely natural if while well, you watch her kind of deteriorate. Yeah. Um, because, you know, she, there's this definite subtext of the, of her 
kind of sort of blaming her son for uh the loss of her husband because you know she wasn't giving birth you know she had to like trade one or you know this weird sort of grief bargaining process um and that coming out in this paranoia was just so viscerally (laughs) upsetting um and also you know really uh emphasized just all of what that grief can do to somebody and not without a monster you know without without it being um manifested as this this horrible creature um have we talked about the birthday party yet no but it's my favorite part to talk about okay we'll we'll get there shortly um okay because before before we get there amelia finds the photo of herself and her husband with her husband scratched out and her uh drawn on she confronts Sam about this and uh, takes away Sam's weapons. And Sam yells very loudly at her, do you want to die? Um, which is another. So scary. Uh, oh, another yeah. moment that feels, feels rough. Again, um, if you've ever been really yelled, angrily, violently yelled at by a parent, uh, this is going to bring back a lot of traumatic memories. Yeah, yeah. The, a lot of the yelling um, and the, the screaming between them is very, very upsetting um and i think that's the biggest trigger that i i would warn uh about in this movie i think so too i mean there's something so heartbreaking about sam not knowing how to act trying so desperately with all his might to protect his mother and love her and try his best to be someone who can be loved by her and he's just receiving the most awful emotional abuse and he doesn't understand why. And it's just, it's just heartbreaking to see. He's in he, he, in his mind too, he is trying so hard to protect her and to save her. And, uh, you know, to, to her mind, he is just making her life miserable. Just it's real rough on both ends. Uh, and is not helped by the fact that this is where uh, the book shows back up for a second time. And Amelia proceeds to rip it up and throw it in the trash so that it will not make its way back down from the bookshelf again. God knows how it got down from there again. But then this is also the the first time that Amelia wakes up in the middle of the night to the sound of three knocks. And she thinks it was the dog because if you lived with an animal, they make the weirdest fucking noises. <laughs> yeah. And this, this is where my argument about uh, if I was in a haunted house horror movie, I would never know comes in because when you have children there are just noises there are just noises at all hours of the night of like weird shit and when you you know first start to have kids that move around by themselves you know once they get out of you know needing to have monitors you're like panicked about it every time you go check on it and you're like oh no it's fine it's fine they're still asleep they just i don't know what the hell that sound was the other like, night in my again potentially haunted house uh the cat knocked over a mirror and then acted as if it had not been in that room uh so (laughs) i looked the whole house over for the sound of crashing like what could have possibly caused it not looking in the room with the mirror because the cat wasn't in there and i wasn't in there so it has to be something else did not find it till morning that was terrifying i was like i am dying and it was right after we recorded our first podcast so it was great timing yeah and this all the the element of cats and breaking mirrors really feels like a like an overstated horror movie you know occurrence there too 
it's true. I mean, the the actual arc of our podcast is realizing that I am living in a haunted house, <laughs> and like the podcast is how I figure it out. There's an Easter egg in every single episode. You just have to figure out where it is. One of these days, we'll do like a video episode, and people will be like, "It's behind you! It's in the video." <laughs> this is um, I I recommended this to people after I watched it recently, but on Shutter there is this uh, movie called Host. Um, which was just recorded in 2020 and boy it is so 2020 because the whole thing is set during the pandemic and uh, it's all these like friends talking over zoom so like all the video is of them in their different houses over zoom and the story of it is that they accidentally summon a demon um, over zoom (laughs) while if I had a nickel screwing around and uh, it's it's basically that like just you know amazing they it just starts showing up and stuff you know suddenly somebody's chair gets moved across the room and you know, weird things happen in the background and it's a wonderful it's a wonderfully done movie because it's just like oh we're all stuck at home what do we do oh we make a we make a horror movie over zoom about you know a demon that reminds me it. of that so, key and peel sketch with the house meeting and there's oh. a ghost that keeps showing up in the background oh. while they're talking about um their uh who's been like writing on everybody or scratching people like symbols into people's backs or something like that i love it i love it I, uh, ryan george it's a youtube video just a short little sketch on youtube uh ryan george the guy who does uh, the pitch meetings for screen rant he did a video of why 2020 is a terrible time for ghosts to possess people and it's just pretty much uh a guy like a ghost shows him possesses a guy's roommate to the reaction of it everyone being uh yeah sure why not it's 2020 why wouldn't ghosts be real and possessing seems right it seems right yeah ghosts ghosts are real now sure that yeah i mean it is it is november it was about time for ghosts to be real i was wondering when ghosts would enter the season it seemed necessary we're so close to zombies (laughs) yeah there's hauntings have hauntings have been in an uptick like reports of hauntings Alani has a video about where the ghost has about the blase reaction. He's like, and has this made you stronger or are you just numb inside? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel that. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> uh, but, but there is something here that is going to make us all not numb for a moment, which is it's time for Ruby's party. Uh, the real horror was going to this party. <laughs> yeah. The real oh, horror I did was not the friends like Claire party. made along the way. Oh, ooh, Claire, Claire and her Stedford wife friends dressed exactly the same using the yeah. same gift bags. I was very stressed. <laughs> this, you know they have a fucking book club. How, oh, they do. And they only read like Nicholas Sparks or things that have been on Reese Witherspoon's book list. <laughs> It's not even like, Reese, if you're out there, you're not out there. But if you were out there, that's not against you. That's against the book clubs that read your books. So Reese Witherspoon is just being like, honey, look, I got mentioned in that horror podcast. (laughs) (laughs) She makes a TikTok about it. (laughs) People don't know that Reese Witherspoon is a huge horror movie fan and super into the horror movie discourse. Okay, that would be so funny if she was. I'm just Right, would that be great? I would love I'm it. New here, but... I'm not going to get sued by Reese Witherspoon for libel. Like Reese Witherspoon is at no point ever watched a horror movie. How dare <laughs> is that? She was in my Is that how liable works? <laughs> I feel like it's a pretty objective fact. I have to I consult just, their like, demon lawyer on that. 
Yeah, like Reese Witherspoon likes horror there. movies. Somewhere it's just like, the, the hell she does. <laughs> I, I'm new here, but Reese, if you're listening, um, I'm inviting you on the podcast. In fact, you and me, I, we could just uh-huh. go on Zoom and chat. You could accidentally summon a demon together. Yeah, I would oh. love to summon a demon with you. Demon with you. <laughs> Zoom in. We would Zoom all in. love to summon a demon with you. I'm I'm just chomping at the bit here. I gotta I gotta mention something about Please. this this scene because there's a lot there's a lot going on in the scene. I mean, um, so much. There is a point where one of them asks Amelia about her writing. Yes, and she says, "Oh, you know," and she mentions children's books. Yes, and it's not mentioned anywhere else. But that's where I'm like, she totally wrote the Babadook book. Yes. She wrote yes. it yeah. and it was something that she had oh. that she never finished. And then oh. she just that would have made so much sense. Oh, that would have been so good. Yeah. I think it might be true. I think think yeah. you're right. That makes sense. Because there really was like up until maybe like twelve minutes until the end of the movie, I was like I I was like seventy percent sure. I was like, I don't think there's anything supernatural going on. Oh. I think it's all just like depression and sleep deprivation mm. Boy, those that things is feel so supernatural and mm. then people and then children started getting telekinetically thrown to get like across the room and i'm like oh i guess he is real is that not well, insomnia does that not happen to you <laughs> <laughs> i mean it, you know you have the, the unreliable unreliable narrator there like through the through the yeah. lens of amelia who knows what happened there because you know her, her abuse manifests yeah. in ways that she can't control so then was that Oscar's violin that, because I was like, I, for a moment, I was like, oh, is she a writer or was she trying to be? I think it was Oscar's. I think it was okay, Oscar's. Yeah, so that makes idea. a lot of sense then if it's Oscar's. I didn't, the movie definitely set that up. I just didn't. No, I don't think it did. It. Did, it, did it say he was a musician? I don't think it did. I, was, I don't remember. No, if she I don't think it, they said she, it. She got it from the basement though, didn't yes, she? she yeah. did. Yes, she did. Yeah, so if she got it from like the Oscar place, then... And the way she, Oscar place. And the Oscar way, place. And I know it's giving it, but just the way she like she mm-hmm. cradles like the violin, like you were right. That makes sense. So okay, so that makes sense. So yeah, yeah really she was, was a writer. Is a writer, yeah. I also there was there's something there about how you know her sister is insisting on introducing her as a writer, and that's not how she wants to be considered in this moment, because uh, she pushes back on that, and her sister still goes, "You are a writer. You just have to get back into it." Like very dismissively, that made again fuck fuck Claire, <laughs> and all of these women sort of gathering around her, being like, "Oh, honey, oh, you can do it. Oh, you know, you." Writer, you can do whatever you know. You can do anything. You just have to believe. Put your mind to it. That one, that one fucking uh, character. I work with underprivileged women. Oh my god! Oh way off. And she's and she's like, it must be hard to be a single mom. I work with underprivileged women, and it's hard for them. So I know. (laughs) I have a lot of friends who are underprivileged women. (laughs) I don't have time to go to the gym anymore. I know. Oh, when she goes off on them, I was like, "This, this is the cathartic moment I needed." Yeah. She's just and like, you know "Yes, Claire- that does sound hard." And you know, Claire's just running out there, being like, "How dare you embarrass me in front of my friends?" Oh, 100%, you know, yeah. Being the fucking worst, you Claire. The worst. The worst. No, this um, is after. To, we should note, Claire asked 
asks for the birthdays to be separate also, which just fuck off, too. And she's like, why don't you just celebrate it on his actual birthday? You know, the day his dad died. No big deal. Nothing traumatic. And this this whole scene is, uh, there's this weird color thing going on, too, where, like, all Mm -hmm. of the adults are wearing, like, shades of gray, and all the girls are in pink, and the boys are in blue, and... Yes. uh, It just... It, it, you said Stepford Wives earlier, and it has that real. We're, we're temporarily in the wrong horror movie for a moment. Right, because their gift bags match. How did they do that? How how did they call each other first? I do they just like shop at the same aisle in Marshalls? Like what happened? How did I mean, this? Perfectly occur? fair. I have that feeling quite often in real life. Like, <laughs> how did you guys do this? <laughs> Like, did you coordinate this? Is so this? coordinated. I didn't even they think about it before story. I was leaving the house and I threw it in a plastic grocery bag. Like, whoa. Look, I, I live in the middle of nowhere. We have exactly one store and it's a TJ Maxx. So this has <laughs> happened to us before. But I feel I feel slightly more justified that we were all like, huh, wow. Oh, you just got it yesterday at TJ Maxx too, huh? This is a, a very good, as to your point, Jeremy, this is a really good uh, spot to mention the color, the use of color in the film and how it's, it is subtle. It's not mm-hmm. like, you still have that kind of Edward Scissorhands, like yeah. juxtaposition of um, satin gray versus vibrant. Um, and, you know, and it's, it's also interesting too, because the, a lot of the film occurs during the day during yes. bright, sunny days. And there's there, you know, everywhere outside is kind of a bright, sunny day. Um, and uh, even the the nighttime isn't really scary as so much as the interior of the house is scary. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's always nighttime inside this house, even when like you yes. can see that there's daylight outside. And um, yes. a, part of me wonders, like maybe if she just got some wallpaper or something, <laughs> like, that would solve the whole thing. Maybe got some crown molding and you know just kind of knock down it some up walls, get an open floor plan. Get yeah, some light moving through this house. You, or take you know, down one Robbie of the is like curtains. <laughs> Robbie is like chomping at the bit to offer to paint for her. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> he has been waiting. He's like, I will do that. I mean, I don't have any skills or qualities, but I will. It's something dudes do, I think. I sure, man. <laughs> Volunteer to do for people, yes. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that 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 is uh, definitely like a stylistic choice that um, you know, the the action of the movie kind of underscores the the um and and you know what's going on in the movie and and uh, Amelia's whole performance and um yeah. journey and everything underscores that that artistry and very subtle very well put together deliberate i should say um yeah. artistry of the backgrounds and the and um the mood um because yeah. the house isn't quite tim burton because no. it's it's too believable you know yeah like it didn't the house absolutely feels like a character but not in that like sam raimi evil dead like tim burton way yeah, yeah. 100%, it feels yeah. poorly cared for and old and mildew, yeah. mildering. It, it looks like the kind of place like you'd be complaining to the landlord to repair and like they never do. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, like when this is the first when there are issues that pop up with the house later, it doesn't seem out of place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the first of the horror movies we've watched for the show that was just as scary in daytime as it is at night. That that's a good point that you bring up. Um, 
because it really is like there's no distinction between them really i mean in this movie at all the when she falls asleep driving like just the very act of fall as, you fall asleep driving with your child in the back seat terrifying that's that's yeah. terrifying 100 mm-hmm. percent. yeah mm-hmm. like this again, <laughs> jeremy are you okay do you need a do you need a minute <laughs> mm-hmm. it's I, part i've of- definitely i have definitely fallen asleep at a red light before um oh, no. uh, like just Stress. very briefly and it's one of those like oh shit <laughs> like how how long was i just yeah. asleep like I, it's and it's, it's for the same reasons of like just having no sleep and yeah. it's it's why it's part of the reason why really up until almost the end of the movie i kind of thought that there was a really good chance that it was all going to be um in amelia's head was just because this movie does such a phenomenal job of really ramping up tension and dread and terror without needing anything even remotely supernatural to be happening absolutely yeah yeah and this is i mean uh, this outside section especially at the birthday party it's it's interesting with the color here it feels almost like washed out while everything you know inside is so dark here it's like overexposed and bright and too much and you know, you get yeah. Sam in this scene. You know, we haven't talked about the kids part of this scene at all, where there's all these, you know, Ruby and all of her friends running around in their big frilly bright dresses, and Sam is like hiding inside of this, you know, treehouse. And like even there, Ruby won't leave him alone. Like Ruby comes to the treehouse to like tell him that he's weird and he's embarrassing her. And, uh, and that he, his dad is gone because he cu- couldn't stand to be around him. Yeah. Is this something oh, that was loved, like not deserving like. a dad or something like that? Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what she said. Exactly. Yeah. <sighs> Doesn't deserve a dad. Oh. And the, the every nightmare thing that you would think that, uh, you know, all of those thoughts as a kid, whenever you were dealing with tragedy and you think it's your yeah. fault, like she just yeah. says all of that out loud. Yeah, mm. which, you know, seeing her mother, I mean, of course she does. Yeah. <laughs> she's yeah, she's heard all of those things. Her, Claire like, has her said, that. said that. Yeah. Yeah. She's definitely heard Claire on the phone with one of those awful friends saying those exact things. So I blame yeah. Claire for this, too. <laughs> you blame Claire for her, her kid getting knocked out of the treehouse and getting her nose broken in two places. It feels like, I mean, that, that, feels like trauma uh, payback. <laughs> It I feel, does. I feel bad for being like, yeah, little kid. <laughs> it certainly was one of those moments where you're like, broken. well, of course he did. Like, yeah. yes, he pushed well, you out of the treehouse. A Michael Jordan meme. <laughs> Them kids. Honestly, she, she earned that honestly, one hard. She did, like we don't she we don't said, support violence against children on this podcast. I would have rather Claire got pushed out of the treehouse. Let's be clear. It's a yeah, if Sam pushed Claire out of the treehouse, then I would have been like, "This is the best movie ever." She was <laughs> Claire climbs up to like stop the fight, and he just shoves her out the treehouse. It'd have been perfect. Hits her one of you know, his, really one of his. Didn't make sure to have that points. girl say the most heinous, hurtful, mean spirited things. To have the audience still be on Sam's side after he pushes a little girl out of a treehouse and breaks her nose. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> He's also six. I'm sorry. Well, like, yeah. Let's not forget. Yeah. Like, it's not like you have a great sense of cause and effect at six. So it's no, not like, like, yeah. He just reacted. It's something I, which... love, I, I love about Sam. Like, I can't think of there ever being such a realistically behaving, like, child. Yeah, like, 100%. I've ever seen. 
especially one who's going through stuff that the, the same kind of stuff that Sam is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and this is the place where I feel like, as if I were Claire, I would have <laughs> been like, don't, don't, don't break your cousin's nose. But yeah, I mean, she she had that one coming. If you were, if you were Amelia. Yeah, if I, if I, mean, I was Amelia definitely. in this case, you know, be like, yeah, I, mean, I know, I know right? it's an, on your yeah. side on this like, one. I know it's a meme, but that moment in the car where Amelia yells, like, why can't you be normal? And Sam just screams, like, oh, I feel yeah, like what so happens immediately after this. I feel like yeah. that could have been almost like the room level dialogue of like silliness. And instead, like, it really is like when you're watching it, just like this absolute moment of just like, a moment of just tiredness that breaks you along with Amelia. And, yeah. was and Sam, right? Yeah. Like you just want to protect him from those words. And like, oh, it hurts. It like, hurts to think about. It would have been so easy for it to be like norm. And instead it's a devastatingly effective yeah. moment. Yeah, I mean, leading up to that, you know, Sam is kicking the seat. He's screaming. He's just doing everything in his power to just be miserable. And make her well, he's miserable. He's trying to save her. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, because he's... the Babadook is there. Yeah, and finally, like, you know, he's he's talking to the Babadook, and uh, you know, she finally pulls the car over, and he, uh, he screams at him, and then he has a seizure. Which boy? Oh my that's, gosh! That's the kind of thing that, as a parent, like, that's exactly what would happen. Like, you'd finally break and yell at your kid, and then the, something would happen that you're like, oh no. I broke my kid. Yeah. Like, I. <laughs> this is the worst possible thing that could have happened right now, and it's karmic back for me being a terrible parent. You're all like, I broke my kid. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> I mean, I said, oh man. I mean, like that is that is the basic. I mean, like when you when you really whittle it down, <laughs> that's yeah. the fear. Like it is. <laughs> I. I used Even to work. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I used to work at a very understaffed boys and girls club, and the the daily fear I would wake up and be like, I am going to break one or more of these children. Yeah. <laughs> well, this movie really. I mean, the biggest, the 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 big upsetting point here um, for those of us that in, in the audience that have kids, I think, I think as a person that doesn't have kids, but. As somebody who is terrified of having kids, this is why. Same. You know? Same. Relatable and, content. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I am fully aware of how um, how much responsibility, you know, as somebody who, like, it, I have anxiety attacks over my cats, you know, that are indoor cats. Like, yeah. um, the, the amount of weight that it is... Um, that to to take care of a child um and uh you know i think that's something that uh i'm just terrified of of the responsibility i'm terrified yeah. of taking it for granted and um you know i'm terrified terrified of becoming amelia yeah um yeah. and uh it's uh it is really speaks to that anxiety um yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I think 100%. this is this is something you're always like I feel like I'm always terrified of as a parent and like that I've I've had moments like this before too where like your your kid has been 
on your nerves and doing stuff or just making noise just you know both both my daughters i i get to the point that i've gotten to the point now that i can joke about this with zuri where like sometimes i'll be like yeah you're just talking to make noise right now what is it you're what is it you want because right now you're just you just keep talking and you're not actually saying anything so sometimes to the point of just like just literally just making noise with her mouth um you know and it there's always that point where you're like you you finally like it wears down and you you say something or you do something and you're like oh no afterwards you're like ah is that the thing is that the thing that's like yeah i just screwed it up like that's the thing they're going to talk to their therapist about (laughs) yeah this is the one i can't take back you know oh Um, yeah it's heartbreaking yeah this this movie and hereditary both (laughs) (laughs) i I know jeremy will never uh, jeremy's probably not gonna watch hereditary again maybe me too a lot of special fears in your parent when you watch them it seems (laughs) yeah well in in um like I can do, I can write a whole paper about comparing these two movies because of, yes. of how they deal with grief and, um, and family grief and all this kind of stuff. Um, I will say right now that I prefer this one. Let's mm. continue. I'm just saying in hereditary, if a monster had killed that little girl, I would be more okay with it. Like, yeah, the, the, oh, that, uh, that scene in the car. I can't, yeah, oh my God. that's still like the Duke, like, you know, talking about it. It's like, ah, oh, it brings up emotions, but that scene of like, the girl having uh, asphyxiating in the back of the car because she's got Ooh. peanut allergies. Uh, oh. It's just like, I can't, I can't with that movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, and that movie too um, also dealt with a mom who was creative who was yeah. who spent a lot of time with art and and I actually read a really interesting and um gosh I I'd, I'd have to look through uh lots of history to find the actual article but there was a really interesting article about um the depiction of creative mothers in film interesting um yeah and it was uh about you know how the mom in that film dealt with her traumas um and maybe kind of sort of ignored her whole family for her work mm-hmm. um and there's some there there were some interesting they they talked about that they talked about um quiet place um in that regard but i feel like in terms of of um the female lead um being a mother and how much that is mm-hmm. part of their in, in identity and yeah. being a creative individual you know how does that interact how does that affect how do those things affect each other you know what are the expectations of somebody you know and that's something that i relate to as well as somebody who you know wants to devote my time to my work and i, f- I feel like i you know i'm i'm sort of barred from having kids because i don't feel like i could give them that time mm-hmm. you know because if if you know then i'll become amelia <laughs> or i can't remember the name of the mom in the in um hereditary but <laughs> the deep one guys just, yeah. just a light just a it's... light movie for our current post-election day feelings yeah <laughs> you know what just something nice and easy i'm glad we didn't watch anything too 
emotionally challenging. Right, right. Yeah, my bad, guys. (laughs) (laughs) By the time people are listening to this, uh, you know, it'll be a distant memory. Um, I did wonder if this movie would be scarier if I wasn't so emotionally done today. (laughs) (laughs) It was was very scary anyway, but I was like, I wonder if I could feel things. Would I be more scared? (laughs) Well, I'd watched it. I'd watched it sandwiched between Jennifer's body and Ginger Snaps, so the that helped a little bit. Although I kind of wish I watched the Bob Duke first and then Jennifer's body. I feel like you been... should always end on Jennifer's body. Just throw yeah. it out there. I feel Just... like if you switch Ginger Snaps and Jennifer's body is the, and then you got the correct order to watch. Yes, yeah. for sure, for perfect. sure. This perfect is all on lineup. Halloween. So oh, we love it. Gonna put you in a real rough place in the middle of uh, Baba Duke, though. I think <laughs> having come from Jennifer's yeah. body or having come from uh, Ginger Snaps, there anyway. is no non-rough place to watch the Baba Duke. Just throw it out there. Yeah, yeah. You're having a perfect day. The Baba Duke is still gonna fuck you up. Yeah. Maybe if is... you're a parent, we'll save it for your kid's birthday so you can <laughs> have like maximum fear that you're fucking them up forever. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think, like 10 or 11? Like when they're, you know, just getting that dry sense of humor? Oh, definitely 10. You know, like that's, that feels like a milestone. Like they're looking forward to that. That's double digits. They're running out of fingers. Like you fuck them up at 10, that's right on the sweet spot. Like they're going to remember that. I, I feel like there's a special kind of fucked up of like your mom picking this movie for you. And you're like, what are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to tell me, Mom? Yeah, I picked The Shining, and you picked this. What the <laughs> fuck is going on? <laughs> what, what, I'm, cons- I'm, I'm scared. It's just the meme of I'm in danger. <laughs> God. <laughs> Maybe this is a bad time to say that on my, I think my thirteenth birthday party, we watched Seven. Amazing. We love it. The uh, the the group chose it though. Um, yeah. My mom watched, my mom was there for the whole thing and everyone fell asleep except for her. Amazing. So. You had to be like, mom, what was in the box? Yeah. So the next day, <laughs> so the next day yeah, was your mom just like being like, what's in the box? You're like, the fuck are you talking about? I don't even remember that. <laughs> you wake up and your mom's just rocking in the corner. You won't believe what they're selling on Goop now. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh, no. Um, this feels like the right time to tell you all that I asked one time one of my therapy mentors why they became a therapist and what they told me was at age 13 they decided to become a therapist watching Silence of the Lambs and I was like which part? (laughs) I have a lot of questions I'm concerned because there is a therapist in that movie and he's the cannibal (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah, so if someone, yeah, like if someone be like, so I feel like what's worse if someone says Hannibal made them become a psychologist, or if they made it become they made them become a chef. I feel like either mm. either either is equally worse. <laughs> Imagine if you watched the show Hannibal and were like, you know what I want to do? Culinary school. <laughs> Listen, they do a really good job on that show of making it's everything beautiful. Look delicious. No one's saying it isn't beautiful. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean all the food. Like when it's when he's cooking, mm. like not the you know people trees or whatever. <laughs> By the way, I really okay. I'm just gonna say this right now because I'm here. 
I yes. really want to have like a podcast or like a Twitter account or something where it's just like people pose as art professors and Ooh. they they take apart all of like Hannibal's installation pieces. <laughs> like love it. He he works so too hard. contrived. <laughs> the the human violin one felt like it just put a lot of that was so much work. I'm just saying you didn't need to do it. Well, when he put the judge in the in the the courtroom and like had the brain on one 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 of the scales and the heart on the other one, I thought I'm like, come on. Well, like, I really like just trying too I hard. Re- I yeah. really like when Will starts making uh, his own murder pieces because then it really makes you go like, oh, this is just one man's descent into arts and crafts, <laughs> right? <laughs> It's true. It's Watching true. Hannibal, at no point did I ever feel like I was more than two episodes away from stumbling upon a torso filled with like rainbow glitter. <laughs> I feel like this is an important public service announcement moment to tell you that I learned today that Hugh Dancy reads a gay erotica book in his Will Graham voice as an audiobook. I so, don't know what it's called, but look is it, it up. Related to Hannibal, or is he just straight up reading like Will Hannibal? It's like unreal. It's it's unreal. It's technically unrelated, but it is published fanfic that he reads as an audiobook in that voice. You're welcome, world. Thank you, oh boy. I'm here. I'm here to help. Thank you. I feel like I gotta <laughs> steer this back towards yeah, the movie Babadook at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's going to get a much lighter. Is not relevant? We are a distractible bunch. It's going to get much lighter and more fun now because we're at the doctor's office. Oh, my yeah. gosh. For Amelia. I felt for this doctor a lot. <laughs> yeah. The amount of, like, like, stressed out. Yeah, she's, <sighs> like, is there... She's in tears, freaking out about her kid having had, you know, uh, a fit and is, like, are there any drugs you can give me to make my kid go to sleep? This man is a, this is not a big city, right? This is like a small town doctor. He has not had that many women cry in his office. And you could see the terror that goes through his eyes of just like, oh no, oh no, what do I do? It's the same look I get every time somebody cries at my table at a convention. Look, I'm sorry for that one time, Jeremy, jeez. (laughs) And this this man's just giving us like, if it's like, he was not prepared for this. Like he thought he was going to have like a simple life and he's just got crying women begging him to drug children. And he is like, they did not, they did not teach him what to do in this situation at school. It's a whole movie about this doctor somewhere. This is his last day for retirement. (laughs) Yeah. hundred percent. He's done. He out. Just the the angle of his jaw, the the set of his shoulders, like everything about him, you can see the mental gymnastics that he's performing to make sure he says the very specific words that aren't going to like throw this woman further or, you know, like he's just feeling so, he's feeling like me, like so responsible. How can I help this woman without killing this child? Right. You see him go still in that kind of stillness of, oh, if I make one move, I'm dead. This is how I die. Okay. Okay. I've got to figure this out. Okay. What do I do next? What, oh, she's crying. Oh, now she's crying. Oh, no. Oh, no. The regular kangaroo in the headlights. <laughs> I don't know if they have deer in Australia. I loved that. That was real cute. <laughs> I think they might uh, have dick dicks. I'm not sure. <laughs> Can't say that on this podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, that is where we cut that the out. Line, cut that out. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, we have a line. <laughs> <laughs> Appar- apparently.
apparently we haven't said the word dick enough on this podcast, Ben. Oh, man. I mean, once well, the more fine. stuff you go, the more dicks they add. So it's just, in, in Australia, <laughs> it's, it's like dick, dick, it's true. dick. Now, my problem is I, ke- I keep referring to it as a sausage knob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't get to Antarctica. Shit's really real there. That's what, that's what you call a chilly willy. We need this. We need this after Babadook. We do. <laughs> we do. We need to talk about Dick Dicks. Baba Dick Dicks. Baba Dick Dick. Fuck. So are we halfway through? Oh. Like, where are we? When, you're, when no your large idea. phone handset vibrator lets you down, then there's, there's the Baba Dick Dick. You need a Baba Dick Dick. Yeah, Baba Dick Dick. I think that's, and, that's and, the porn version. Yeah, I was gonna say the the erotica version of his book, pop up book is the Baba Dick Pick. <laughs> God, there's gotta be there's gotta be a porn version of this somewhere, and I well, no no Baba Duke doesn't send dick pics. <laughs> Baba Duke sends you a pop up book, whereas Baba Dick pops up. Yeah, I mean, That's like what, what, what better dick pic technology exists than a pop up book? <laughs> a semi pop up book. It's my, it's my dick in a book. <laughs> I mean, and speaking of which, uh, place to transition if we are going to. Shortly <laughs> after this is is where the uh, the book comes back again. There are three. And knocks it's better than door. ever. There are three <laughs> knocks at the door, and she opens it, and there's nobody there. And she closes it again, and there's three knocks at the door again because she hasn't picked up on this trend, despite everything around her. And she looks down on the mat, and there is a a the Baba Duke book is back, and it has new extra pages. It's a special edition. Yes, <laughs> anniversary edition of the Baba Duke book. Yes, the five day anniversary. I don't know how many days it's been in this movie, but something like that. <laughs> and it has the new passage that uh, you referenced earlier, Chris, which is, "I'll wager with you. I'll make you a bet. The more you deny, the stronger I get." You start to change when I get in the Babadook growing right under your skin. Oh, come see what's underneath. I need it. And we get the additional pages at this point as well, right? The additional images. Yes, where she yes. is in the book. And then. And she kills the dog. Mm. Yeah, that's a real feat of engineering. I'm not sure who. <laughs> who managed to create a thing in a pop-up book that allows one of the characters to choke and murder a dog. Well, it was, I mean, it was a bit of a, I think it like, I think there's a (laughs) pop-up book technology where the, the the little head changes. Cause it, I remember like the head change from like regular dog head to X eyes, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's one of the pulley tab things instead of a pop-up. It's like, yeah, we just don't yeah. see her pull, pull it on the little tab. Why would you pull that tab? Just leave it alone. <laughs> you don't want to see what it does. Just leave the tab alone. <laughs> How can you not though? <laughs> if there is a tab, you will pull it. It's a damn pop up book. If there is a if there is a great tool for demon compulsion, it's a pop up book. Like you can't you can't yeah. not pull the tab. Yeah, you can't not like the prototype. But here's the second edition. <laughs> it's definitely has the way, like I have some die cut stickers in the back. <laughs> this is for your Kickstarter. 
Thanks for backing. <laughs> all the backers. Here's all the backers that will die. <laughs> the manifestation of their grief. Uh, <laughs> I, I have a really bad. I have a really. I have some bad news, you guys. Hmm. Hmm. Um, there is apparently a. Um, speaking of, I'm sorry to jump back to our previous conversation here but apparently there is a um a toy called the bob dong (laughs) here's my question does it have a hat (laughs) i mean it is fashioned it I feel like this is a show don't tell. I mean, this is a podcast. I know, I've got to look at this. Listen, you start to change when it gets in. The Babadook growing ah! right under your skin. Ah! <laughs> no, true. No. Oh, come, come see what's come, underneath. It says. Oh, come. It let come let him in. Underneath. Um, no, it is fashion. It has a, little, like. <laughs> has a little Babadook face underneath the uh, the tip. I'm Googling it. This is your fault. <laughs> I Just take your responsibility You're going on a list. Oh, no. <laughs> I did not sign up to see this. I don't know what I thought I was going to see, but not this. Um, oh, no. Now I do have Duke porno in my search history now. So um, <laughs> you're, you're welcome. I, yeah, you, so thought, we're both you thought this Duke is gay was going to be relegated to memes in AO3? Oh, no, Chris. <laughs> we're taking this all the way. Yeah. I Good, because I'm about to send you fan art. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> We brought it on ourselves. Oh, I am going to do the same we thing Amelia does, which is burn it in a barbecue. There you go. <laughs> burn all of the fan art in the barbecue. And then I'm going to go to we the let... unhelpful police. Oh, yes. It's time for another f- famous segment of the show, which is the police are not helpful with anything ever. You know, it is nice to know that the police in horror movies in Australia are just as useless as American police in horror movies. It's or, honestly, or please, <laughs> or, or, uh, or in real life, or please, or, just generally. <laughs> I heard what you said too. I, 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 I'm with you here. Sorry, I had some in my throat. I feel like a good <laughs> chunk of this movie is me not understanding how Australia works because I can't conceive of a society that cares about its citizens. <laughs> so it was almost refreshing to be like, oh, look, a po- police. A part of the government that I know is going to be as ineffectual and useless as any as I expect. It's honestly, honestly, that was a moment. There was a, almost a certain relief in it just straight up being Australian Chief Wiggum. <laughs> you know, it's relatable content. Well, he's got the, uh, the, the two officers in the background to be the, what are their names, Lenny? And no, that's not the officers. Yeah, Lenny, that's that's Homer's friends from the Yeah. Uh there's Lou and not Lou. <laughs> Helpful. Yeah. Oh, I I totally forgot to mention she th- she puts it in the barbecue and then she calls Claire. <laughs> she calls Claire to tell her <sighs> that she got somebody sent her a kid's book and Claire's like, What the fuck? Whatever, just go to the police, Claire, I guess. Claire says no, Claire says I cannot handle you right now, which I was just like, Claire, I will slap you into the next century. 
Are you kidding me? You what in what in what world does anyone, even somebody who's not your sister, call you and say, I am being stalked? Uh, warranted for like, uh, you know what? I don't even need to do right now. Set emotional boundaries. <laughs> oh God! You're just She's being so, so extra right now, Claire. <laughs> Stop getting stalked, yeah. you weirdo! Like, if, have you tried just not being stalked? <laughs> God! Have you tried not being a character in a horror movie? I mean, come on. Have you tried just uh, not dealing with your grief? Oh, wait, that's the monster the whole time. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, no. Look, uh, the stocking is really inconvenient for me today. Could you try to do it tomorrow, maybe? I have a little bit of time for you tomorrow to deal with your stocking. Let me check my Google calendars on my flip phone. Uh, Can I put you in an invite for dealing with the stocking on Wednesday? If maybe my that yoga thing. class is canceled, then maybe... <laughs> I mean, I'd be willing to bump you up to that time, but then when would my self-care be? When? I, when, Amelia? Answer me that. I mean, I am doing a, a, a volunteer <laughs> for underprivileged women. Um, yeah, I don't have time to help you with your stocking. I'm volunteering at a violence shelter. <laughs> uh, we have our own separate podcast now where we're just pretending to be Claire. Claire says, what does Claire say? You know, I was thinking about, <laughs> because I've been doing Letterboxd, I was thinking about having us start, like, ranking all of the the movies that we watch, you know, based on, yeah. on, on how, how progressive they are. But I think maybe we should just rank people on the chip scale from each movie. Oh, I love that idea. <laughs> Definitely get on put it. together a, a, chip st- a chip scale chart. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. I love it. Uh, but yes, she, uh, her, Claire's fantastic advice is that she could, should call the police, which Amelia hangs up the phone and then gets another phone call. And this one's from the Babadook. Uh, he says, Pikachu. Uh, <laughs> <switching> <laughs> <it up>. <laughs> he was like, I hear you had a bad conversation with your sister. I'm here to offer support. Why are you hanging up? I'm, I'm just, okay, fine. But he can only say Babadook because, you know. <laughs> We'll never know the things that he really wanted to say to her. Uh, he, in order Maybe to say the things he really angry. wants to say, he has to pretend <laughs> to be her dead, fu- her dead husband. So, Look, right, who right. hasn't had to pretend to be someone's dead husband to have an emotional conversation with them? It happens. I mean, I haven't... I ha- <laughs> Is it, wait, not- does that not happen it, for, for you all? Oh, hmm. I mean, sometimes hmm. you do role-playing in therapy. <laughs> Fair. Um, it doesn't usually quite go this way, but you know, his idea is in the right place. <laughs> but you know, now we know if the Babadook can't speak, at least we know that it can like learn lunge or like hyperbeam. <laughs> oh, it's good at lunge. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. Although I think go- Babadook is definitely like a dark ghost. So mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. something like ominous wind or. What is the level up definitely got of a Babadook? Attack. Yes, future sight. <laughs> um, I, I'm pretty sure the Babadook levels up into a Freddy, a, a, a thing that just kills you in your dreams. Huh. Yeah, that's fair. That feels fair. I mean, it would evolve from one hat into a different kind of hat. <laughs> <laughs> Be a much more. Freddy wears a fed- 
fedora fedora is more evil than a top hat <laughs> that's so. always true yes <laughs> and there's one above that that's just in a pope hat yeah. the uh <laughs> when he turns into oscar he keeps referring to like sam as God, is it either the child the or the boy yeah the, the boy, boy. which is something boy. that the the teachers did too that she called them out on because they wouldn't call that's him sam tr- yes that's right in the very beginning yeah. when they're like the it's, boy deserves this this like, care right she's like he has a name it's and oh it's so dehumanizing but i wonder if it's also just the babadook's not very good at remembering names and i'm like fuck and i'm like relatable (laughs) (laughs) yeah he hit on like a specific issue she has but in general he he also just calls her the woman like how awkward would that be like you're haunting a family and then you're like wait i I could guys i'm i'm halfway through haunting this family and i forgot their names it's it's too late for me to ask now it's embarrassing i don't even know who they are like i have access to all their innermost dreams but i got no idea what the fuck their name we're too deep we're in too deep i can't reveal now that i don't know what their names are i've got to come up with nicknames Listen, Freddy, I, um, you know, I've got face blindness, right? So, like, (laughs) it turns out I have been stalking a perfectly different family this whole time. Like, I started talking to this woman about how her husband was dead, and he just walks in. Like, it's crazy. So embarrassing. You know, Jason Uh, comes out and, like, does a set talk. It's like, look, I've got... How I how I hide behind the mask, let my actions do the talking, and conquer my social anxiety. Yes, <laughs> love it. We love to see it. He is doing his best. Okay, he's doing his best. It is hard to memorize someone's face if you're only seeing them in little snatches and snippets as you flash into the room. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, when you're non-corporeal, when right? You're looking okay. from the TV for some reason. Yeah, when it's hard. <laughs> If you don't have physical eyeballs, like how do you? Yeah, you know you we're not appreciating. Faces? We don't appreciate his unique struggles enough. I think. Yeah. Um. These sound uh, very much like conversations that these police might have. The police in the background <laughs> who who snicker at Amelia when she says that she's uh, that she was given a a uh, children's book as part yeah. of the stalking. They just think that's hilarious. And then she's like, and there were threats against the lives of myself and my child in there. And they shut up real fast. Yeah, she says it pointedly, directly looking at them. And I was like, yes, <laughs> make them feel terrible as they should. Yeah, and then the, the cop seems to be generally not helpful. And then when he leans down to uh, check something on the computer, he, she can see the, the jacket and hat of the Duke hanging up on the the shelf in the background, um, which uh, it's creepy. That was that legitimately got like a get a creepy. Like I was like, oh shit, out of me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was the creepiest one. He's in with the police. You cannot trust him. Yeah, and it was more literal, Baba Duke at that point too. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's very like it's just the hat and coat, but it's like specifically the hat and coat. It's not just you know the yeah. husband's hat and coat. Um, yeah yeah and this this is then when she 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 is really starting to lose it at this point and she goes home and uh poor the poor dog is freaking out at her um oof yeah yeah, and then uh 
it, it's it's getting worse uh, because this is also where she uh, starts seeing bugs crawling across the floor and uh, goes to move oh, the refrigerator this... and just yeah. finds a hole in the wall with bugs, roaches specifically, just pouring out of it. Which it's nice to know that translates country to country because, <laughs> yeah. boy, I didn't have any trouble figuring out why that was fucked up. Right? Yikes. <laughs> Wasn't like wallabies or something. Like, oh, is that a thing? <laughs> she has a wallaby infestation. That would ah, be adorable. Damn. It's like, no, wallabies. <laughs> I feel like we lucked out that we didn't see an infestation of giant spiders, as that was oh, yeah. a possible thing we could have had. And yeah. I'm, I'm very happy that we, we didn't do that one. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> she doesn't live in that part of Australia. I don't know the deal there. I was just happy we didn't see them. I feel like it would have been a little bit campy if it was a bunch of giant spiders. It's you know? their lives, okay? <laughs> That's what <laughs> Australia is. I know, but like, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe. But I think the cockroaches, in terms of like the the domestic horror of cockroaches, yeah. um, yeah. I mean, the most the 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 next step up is like bed bugs. Like you're oh no, and bed bugs are so hard to see. Ugh. Uh, yeah. So I mean, she is. She's freaking out and scrubbing and cleaning and what better time for the community service workers to decide to show up and uh, note that her son is not enrolled at school any longer and has not been to school in a couple of days. Uh, This is Warren and Prue, which feels like they were chosen intentionally as the names of of service workers. They were a bit like, I mean, that's sort of kind of cartoony, but yes. They were BoJack Horseman characters. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, she is. Uh, she is freaking out. Sam is saying the worst things possible at every moment. Oh my as- gosh, this poor child! <laughs> oh, this is the episode of The Simpsons where the uh, um, the community service workers show up and they're like evaluating the house, and then they end up. The um, Ned Flanders has to end up. Um, has to take care of maggie because the these folks come in and maggie's like drinking out of the dog bowl or something and <laughs> you know um yeah. toilet uh, paper is going uh, the wrong way on the toilet paper roll <laughs> yes yeah this, this is, is definitely very stressful that, uh, he, he blurts out that his mom is giving him drugs to make him sleep yes very that and, and that he's never nauseous Yes. This is really the scene where my under where my assumptions of how America works was yes. like was so much crueler than reality because I did not realize until much later like oh they're here to help him find a school that matches his needs. I'm yeah. so used to, I'm so used to American cruelty that my brain without considering any other possibility just went like Oh, it's child services. They're here to take him away from her. I thought that too. And then they did it. And I was like, but she couldn't have passed. I was so confused. I was, yeah, I'm with you on this. Yeah. It turns out we just literally cannot conceive a non-terminally cruel society. <laughs> it turns out. Well, I, I also think that there's a little bit of... Um, double talk there as well like you know it's i don't know how australia um deals with these kind of things but i know in britain Mm. you know we're we're looking for some uh, 
somewhere that fits your child's needs is is very uh wrought with meaning um so i don't know if they were they were just kind of coming in on the oblique angle there um but there was certain a certain amount of menace uh, yeah with their presence and you know but but yeah the fact that they didn't actually just be like okay so uh you know the the broken kid pickup van is going to be here tomorrow and uh just make sure that you're here (laughs) yeah Um, or we'll put out a warrant for your arrest yeah what's that she's dragging you all right thank you come along now you're uh, (laughs) you're kind of a fuss that said there feels like a lot more they could have done in this scene true it it does feel like yeah obviously we don't have anything like a good solution here but this doesn't feel like it was that helpful either where they were just like oh wow so many warning signs anyway we'll be back in a week i hope nothing bad happens while we're gone (laughs) have fun you look like you're doing fine uh yeah, she also tries to show them the hole in the wall where all the roaches are pouring out, oh. and it's not there. My heart shattered. I was like, of course it wasn't, but also mm-hmm. like, oh, honey, no, oh, no. Yeah, that's the worst The worst gaslighting in, in horror movies is when reality gaslights you. It's just like, right. What? Yeah. Right. what? No, it was definitely there before. And how easy that would be. I mean, obviously there could be, this could be supernatural, but it also didn't need to be, right? Because when you're that sleep deprived, when you're that depressed, like, uh, it's just relatable that you would have that moment where something seemed much worse than it actually was. And then in the light of day, when you have to show it to another person, you're like, oh shit, I've I've oversold this, the hell out of this. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even if you came back and were like, look, it's a hole in the wall and there weren't roaches pouring out of it currently. Right. You know, it would be a, a big step down. Um, mm-hmm. Right. A little, a little nut right. Um, and boy, it's going to get worse because uh, this shortly thereafter, she is cleaning dishes and uh, looks over into her neighbor's apartment where, you know, she is watching romance movies and she just happens Ugh. to see that there's somebody standing behind her neighbor. Um and it's the Babadook. The way I wanted to throw hands with the Babadook if he touched a hair on that woman's head. <laughs> right? Miss Roach? Miss Roach is the Ms. best. Miss Roach? Miss Ro- we didn't. We haven't talked about Mitch Roach, but every time she shows up, she is I mean, so supportive. She is so like she is here for uh, Sam's neurodiversity. She's like he's a brilliant child. I was like, yes, she's the only right person in this movie, and if she, she is- dies, I will burn something she is an angel she is she is she is a little yeah. angel she she is also the person that's like um sam is like when she goes to pick him up sam up from her place earlier sam yeah. Is like, oh, yeah miss roach has parkinson's and that's why she shakes and mom is like no don't yeah and miss roach is like oh no it's fine he asked he's curious oh Let god that's yeah that's yeah. the theme of the movie it is and she also oh, it's, wow. she's like his father was just like that, and I loved it in him too. And I was like, "Oh, that's right." Because Miss Birch, she knew though she knew the dad. Yes, yes. So, Ugh. so it does. Um, that so it it is established that Miss Roach has been there for a while. Yeah, that yeah. she's been sort of a mainstay, even though she Roach kind has of, seen some shit. Yeah, <laughs> but she's sort of like. Um, in this in this very almost distant orbit to um Amelia, you know, and I feel like yeah. 
I mean, that that is a dress later, but... Um, yeah, that she yeah. can literally, like, Amelia can see into her living room yeah. from the kitchen, and it's still, like, so far away. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is definitely the character, too, that I mentioned earlier when I said that, you know, there's the ways in which society is totally failing Amelia, and there are also ways in which she is not ask for, asking for help. And this mm-hmm. is the character where I was like, she's there, and she's offering constantly in the movie and has never taken up on it. And you just want to be like, just say yes, go. Well, Amelia, as a um, as an orderly for the or or a, or a worker at the um, old folks' home, you know, mm-hmm. she's also dealing with uh, elderly people. And I wonder if she sees Miss um, Roach as sort of a depend, like a possible dependent. Oh, you know, maybe. she doesn't want to take take responsibility for um, another elderly woman. But I mean, I don't know. That's a good point. I was also wondering how much was that. If the Babadook is real, how much was it isolating her? Because we do see she uses, she relies on Miss Roach for babysitting. Uh, she, you know, she has come to rely like on Claire for like helping with like birthday parties and stuff like that. Like she lets her coworker like cover oh, her. That's so really interesting. It does seem like she's more accepting of help when it's offered until it's like, you know, like the Babadook comes in and then it starts getting wrapped up in this whole very toxically narcissistic sense of pride that's a really good point and it i mean that that tracks with depression right because the way that depression progresses the when it's at its worst you don't see the positive things around you even if they're there anymore so that really that tracks and and the clearest positive thing well yeah let's be clear yeah um, but mrs roach is perfect so that's what i'm talking about yeah mrs roach is a perfect angel yeah, when when and especially in um in anxiety and depression, you know, fits of anxiety and depression. Um, when you're at your worst, a lot of the time, um, you don't want to. You don't want to accept help. You don't want it because you feel responsible, yeah. like for you know, you yeah. feel like that person being responsible for you is something that you have is another stressor. Yeah, you know, because you have to yeah. you have to let them do things that you're not normal normally comfortable letting them do. Um, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Like, there's this sense of being a burden that comes with depression and grief that you know obviously seems to be happening in this movie that she she can't she right she she is used to being the one everyone relies on. She cannot be in the position of being a burden to others. I, and I, when she tries to ask for help from Claire, she constantly gets shot down. Right. Claire sucks. Right. Claire, yeah. Claire is the worst. Yeah, con- like uh, being one of the people that con- quote unquote confirms what her depression is telling her, right? Like because she's being told by, if we're reading The Babadook is Depression, which I do pretty much, and grief. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're saying it like that, the, it's lying to her that no one will help. And then she goes to the police and Claire and they don't help. And that's, you know, furthering, confirming it for her. I also mm-hmm. wonder, and again, it's like, again, so much of this comes when she's like possessed by the Baba Duke and when she's at her absolute worst and most toxic. But I mm-hmm. certainly felt a sense of like, she, it's, wrapped up in not asking for help is also wrapped up like in her pride like if they go and ask someone for help then that's her failing as a mother to have provided for her child so like how dare he call someone for help and thus imply that she's failing him as a mother totally right yeah and this is after too right when he's 
hungry because they don't have any food from the cockroaches and oh, asking yeah. asking her for food. That scene was so heartbreaking too. That was so hard to watch. That really that comes up soon here because uh, this is where. Uh, so next up is like they she reads him to sleep and um, she's woken up again by the three knocks. And this time she wakes up to see the Babadook creeping into the room and, you know, hides under the, the blanket. And then, you know, when she opens up the blanket, he has skittered across the ceiling and is overhead. Ugh. And uh, the skittering. Oh, it looks to me. I've I read this as like the point where. The Babadook actually possesses her because we see him okay. down, and that's like uh, from this point on is when she is uh, she will really snap at Sam for things. Because yeah. literally, this this next morning is um, what you were talking about, where uh, okay. he says he's hungry and there's no food in the refrigerator, and she tells him to go eat shit. Um, Ugh. Ugh, yeah, and I. It was so hard to watch her try to take it back and unsay what can never be oh. unsaid. Yeah, and she offers to get him ice cream. Oh, there, that scene is heartbreaking too. She keeps trying to give him ice cream throughout the like back half of this movie. It's just constantly, <laughs> it's this promise of ice cream and then eventual ice cream, and it's clearly not what he wants. Yeah, no, Sam is too smart for this trick. Yeah, and this so. Yeah, they have the, the Babadook skitters down and, and jumps into her mouth. And then uh, she ends up pulling Sam downstairs to go, I guess, watch TV, try and stay awake somehow. Because um, she's yeah. so freaked well, the- out at this point. What appears to be the, like, French film Voyage to the Moon is... Uh, yeah, right. That's what yeah. I thought it was, too. It's, it's either Voyage to the Moon or something that's meant to evoke that same feeling of just, like, weirdness that that movie is and the Babadook starts showing up in it. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's the, these two scenes back to back, the Babadook crawling across the room and then the Babadook being on TV are, are two of the genuinely freakiest scenes in this movie. Um, and is, is this when her tooth starts to fall out too? It's somewhere around here, right? I forgot about her that. tooth has been hurting. I think it's hurting for a while. I think that starts... I think that might start all the way back at the like the birthday party. Oh um, yeah, I forgot keeps, it started so early. Yeah, she keeps touching her her jaw at various points. Um, and then, I do love the you know, the anxiety metaphor of teeth falling out being a classic yeah. like old school Freudian metaphor there. That's <laughs> uh, I'm telling tales, but that's Alicia's one. Whenever she is stressed, she has dreams about teeth falling out. So. It's a common one. Ah. Yeah, mine is the mine is the naked in public for for no apparent reason. Um, I'm mine just is the driverless car. <laughs> mine is a driverless car. If you if anyone wants to know, just I'm in the back of a car with no driver. The, the metaphor is hardly subtle. <laughs> I always have to get on a plane to go somewhere. Oh, and it's like I have to get to, get on a plane from, you know, Singapore to to where I've never been. You know, various places I've never been because I have to do I have to meet my parents in France or something. And <laughs> I was and about I have to say after my, after trying after you driving me to the San Francisco airport, I can understand why that would be an anxiety dream. Well, I <laughs> I did. Um, I've had some some anxiety. 
around travel in my youth, but the, the, it's always, I have to bring my cats with me. And oh my gosh, that's the stress <laughs> of that. I'm like, how am I going how am I going to keep them on my lap? You know how, and they're, I'm staying in hotels and I'm like, I haven't told the hotel about the cats and I'm like, they're going to find the the litter everywhere and they're going to charge <laughs> me and, <laughs> it's, and elevators. Uh, that's real. I definitely had a stress dream about having a kitten just like two days ago and woke up in a dead panic and I was like, oh no, the kitten. And then I was like, I don't even own a kitten. So I guess it's okay. <laughs> I... But I haven't been in any sort of academic situation for years, and yet I still routinely wake up in a panic because I haven't studied for a final to a class I'm not taking. That is so real. I also get the one where I, I have signed up for a class and then just never shown up for it until the final. That one I get pretty frequently. Oh, yeah, I've gotten that one. It's all based <laughs> off the, – all the worst nightmares are all academia-based, and I'm sure there's nothing deeper to look into there. As a college <laughs> professor who's having a totally fine time in 2020 and loves her job, I, I, there's nothing there. I don't, what are you, help me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, did the cracks show? <laughs> oh my God. Talk about text versus subtext. <laughs> Everything is fine. <laughs> The part where Chris's laugh suddenly turned into crying and sobbing. <laughs> the breakdown. I had a student <laughs> today thank me. Right. I had a student today thank me for letting them know that I was stressed out too. Like I was doing that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, it's so generous of you to, you know, let us know that you also go through things. And I was like, I, yeah, of course. It was intentional. Yes. Yes, it was. That's right. <laughs> This is a test, and you passed. Good job. Yes, it was yeah. a psych, it was a psych thing. It was meta. You were right. Very meta of me. I didn't just cry accidentally. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, fine. <laughs> everything's good. We're all we're all fine. It's just it's November fourth here. Everything's good. Situation normal. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> The, the real horror is the Babadook. It's not our lives. No. Nope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, among the many things that I feel like I have done in this movie, I've never told my child that they're hungry to go eat shit. Um, I'm uh, proud of you. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Job. <laughs> yeah. Right although applause. I feel her because like she finally like decides to go upstairs and crash in the morning. Uh, she can finally go to sleep because she doesn't have to worry about the Babadook creeping into her room during the day. And, you know, as soon as she lays down, the child is there asking for food. Um, and I, I guess that's where they are or where they've been going is to get food when uh, she then sees the Babadook in the rearview mirror of her car and <sighs> crashes the car. Uh, yeah. This, this oh, that was scary. Yeah. Ugh. So scary. In the middle of the day, like there, you know, this is a scene in a car. Yeah, it's it's a it's a car crash scene, and that's um, scary of its own uh, merit. But the having the like the Babadook's um, hands, like it's yes. you know, like someone's cat that accidentally got on the, <laughs> the top on the roof. But you know, it's like there's no escape. Like you know, it's yeah. not it's not when you're half asleep. It's not in the middle of the night. It's not just then. It's you know. Yeah. 
it just in the middle of the day, this thing can happen. Um, and you know, even if you drive far away from your house where, you know, usually it's the, the point of the haunting, right. Where right. somebody, you know, when you have a haunting in a film or in a story, it is localized, uh, to, to a place much like that house yeah. is a character, but in this case, it, it certainly doesn't care. It's there. It's there with them all the time. That's really true. And she immediately gets judged for her parenting yet again. Because mm-hmm. the guy she hits just leads with, oh, what kind of mother are you? And I was like, dude, The judgment the that she gets as a parent throughout this movie, it's so hard watching her yeah. go through. It's so hard just watching how hard she has it and just seeing her get nothing but shit for it from everyone around her. Honestly. Honestly. Yeah. This is, it's a, a rough scene. And then she, you know, just, like this guy is yelling at her and she just backs up and takes off. Um, yeah. Which then comes up on what has somehow is still like a singularly creepy scene in this movie full of creepy scenes where like her son walks into the bathroom and she is taking a bath in her like fully clothed <gasps> in the bath. Oh, and oh, then like right. lifts him up always, and puts him fully clothed into the bath. Health. Right. Yeah. Nothing bad to see here. That's always sitting in a bathtub with your clothes on is always a sign of rock solid mental health and yeah it's self-care is what that is oh and this is this is a result of before she sees the babadook she hears bugs and looks down in her lap and the bugs are oh, crawling around yes, her yes. and in the car which is in the car yeah. yeah the worst yeah and then yeah looks up and sees the babadook in the back seat and oh oh it's all it's all very terrible but yeah that's that's why she presumably is in the bathtub in her clothes um and then decides I mean, that's a 2020 mood though <laughs> like, yeah, and then decides she wants to go sleep with her husband's violin um look look there's no judgment here <laughs> but that's i mean that's one of the more relatable parts of the film where i was like yeah um i mean sure man mm-hmm. yeah about about two days from that right now <laughs> <laughs> the way she snapped at him, though, when he like came, oh, even came close to touch, it was just another sense of yeah. her denying him the ability to remember his father and grieve with her. It's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. Mm. Oh, yeah, and she, uh, she then you know is falling asleep with his violin and starts hearing whispers, and follows them downstairs to find that Sam is on the phone with Miss Roach, um, trying to get them out of there and uh she she tells miss roach that they they don't need to go anywhere and then flips the fuck out on sam takes the battery out of the phone grabs a steak knife and cuts the like actual phone wire uh which yeah which is is a wild thing to see in a a movie from a few years ago now be like right cut the phone wire what um what's that gonna accomplish yeah um, but oh yeah, it's a, oh, it's it was a tough sad. scene. Yeah, that was that was that was a very very emotionally taxing yeah. scene. Yeah, it's the the rough one for me is still like the roughest one for me is still yet to come because uh, she she tries to force Sam to take his pill and he fakes it because he I I assume because he doesn't think it's safe. Um, uh, because to, he is the smartest horror movie character yeah. we've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Chekhov's, uh, there was, uh, I have my notes, Chekhov's uh, sleight of hand magic. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, this child is brilliant. We love to see it. Yeah. Um, and this is this is the scene for me, though, because I very specifically, like, I've had issues in the past with not sleeping and insomnia, and especially when uh, I had very young kids when I had, you know, when Zuri was a baby, um, of, like, being so tired that I don't know if I'm awake or asleep. And this oh. scene of where she is like, sees her dead son on the couch and goes over to check on him. And he yells out and she suddenly discovers she's standing over him with a knife is like, Oh, that's, that's a rough one. Yeah. 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 Oof. Yeah. That's a big oof. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of oofs in this section. Yeah, a lot of big oofs. It, uh, did someone? Okay, I've got a, I've got an order of oof here. Yeah, <laughs> that oof. I definitely do. All right. <clears throat> so we took five, and now we're back to talk about dead dogs. Um, poor Bugsy knows the score, knows what's going on, uh, is barking at Amelia, uh, or comes to Amelia. Amelia really wants to snuggle him and love him and Bugsy realizes that something is not right here and barks at Amelia and uh, Amelia snaps his neck. It's, um, I, boy, it's not the, it's, it's, it's hard to watch. Her, her relationship with Bugsy was deteriorating for a while. Yeah. I had in my notes, where's John Wick? <laughs> this dog is adorable and gets no justice. John, yeah. John Hashtag Wick. justice for Bugsy. Oh, for real. This is very upsetting. Bugsy was a good doggy who did not deserve it. There is not a appropriately sized vengeance rampage. Uh, I was left feeling very hollow. I'm like, they do the happy ending. I'm like, fuck you. You don't get a happy ending. Where's Bugsy? Fuck you. No happy ending. With that. Well, they show they where do. Bugsy is. I was going to say, uh, I they know. show exactly where. They do, but... Which is part of the signs that this is not a happy ending. I, okay. I don't like it. Bugsy deserved much better. Bugsy deserved to go live with the neighbor. Let's yeah. Be pure and perfect together. <laughs> when when watching this movie with Brett, I um, th- we sort of watched it in this kind of sullen silence. And I think it was in the midst of doing... So I think I was cooking, so I kept pausing it. And it just drew out the the uh, the experience a little bit. Um, but the one time that I reacted with great fervor was at that point where I just was like, "Could have done without that." Yeah, yeah not necessarily. Could have extremely done without that. Yeah, I mean, once it happens in the pop up book, you know. Uh, yeah, th- I was worried about that. I was like, maybe it's you know maybe listen to the warnings that you get yeah this is um after this is also where she just reaches into her mouth and rips out her fucking tooth like which is boy it is something to see it was was gross yeah the the acting in this though oh Oh, yeah she's incredible boy it's um it's really messed up. <laughs> She's, um, yeah, this is also, uh, she 
Some, somewhere in this is where she wa- is sleepwalking into the basement and finds... Uh, well, for, okay. So I think this is actually before... Okay. I think I messed the order of this up a little bit because she... Uh, she wait, She finds uh, herself standing over Sam with a knife and doesn't doesn't kill him. And then uh, Bugsy goes and sits on Sam to protect him. Um, and Amelia starts falling asleep and seeing news reports about a woman killing her son and seeing herself in the news report, um, smiling. That was really freaky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then is that's where she goes sleepwalking and finds her husband in the basement. And uh, yes, he starts demanding Which. that he bring her the boy. Again, I've been watching Hill House. And when I was like, uh oh, geography summoning <laughs> dead, like, dead loved ones. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Just once I want someone to be like, uh uh-uh, uh, you're dead. Are <laughs> <laughs> you? You're dead. You're a ghost. Fuck you. I just waited for it to run to wear her down. I mean, pretty yeah. a pretty solid tactic by the Babadook, as far as I'm concerned. Then he he transformed into Australian Adam Brody. I mean, it's hard to say no to. Yeah. <laughs> and when she's that, oh god, at that he's a bottom, musician too. I bet he was in oh a band. <laughs> oh, he was. That's in, why they had the violin. He was in low shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. I wonder if he he uh, killed anybody to. Jenny got your number. It's it's true. He has he has. That's why their house is haunted. It's, it actually it's actually it's Australia, so they kill people to land down under there. It's oh yeah, it's just a fact. Oh my gosh! You can only kill people to men at work there. It's like a it's like a union thing. What about the safety dance though? <laughs> oh, can you imagine a scene where you kill someone to safety dance? That feels very American Psycho, actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can leave <laughs> your friends movies behind. Are less somehow yeah, less yeah. disconcerting than this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know you got him singing and then he just starts screaming at like the there are no friends of mine and the axe starts coming down. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, it's another one for the pitch. Just write that one down there. <laughs> Just an Australian remake of American Psycho. Uh. Australian Psycho. <laughs> um, that's basically Crocodile Dundee, though. Like. I don't think that's what happens. I haven't seen Crocodile Dundee in a long time, but I don't think that's what happens in Crocodile Dundee. Well, there's the sequel. The squeakquel. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still trying to pitch a British Psycho, which is just like a hidden camera crew following around Tom Hardy. <laughs> I don't think he's particularly psycho. I just think it'd be really fun knowing what Tom Hardy gets up to like, in a day. You keep like starting to try, try to start beef with different actors that you then go, I don't know why I'm picking on. Them. I, I don't feel like this is beef. I'm thinking I'm more just like declaring an intention to stalk Tom Hardy. <laughs> I love. I didn't know you had to formally declare an intention, but now I do. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's just polite. You're, you know, it is. You're right. I mean, that's true. Yeah, but I mean, you know, like, you got to do first. Like, if we don't have, COVID, if we you got to get a permit for that stuff. 
if yeah. we don't have send him a pop-up pop book. book in this crazy world if we don't have at least have good manners <laughs> all right so we're we're in the home stretch here we yeah we've got to finish this thing because yeah. uh after she rips out her tooth, uh, Sam runs away from her and she starts banging on the door and uh, yelling at him. Things seem kind of normal until she uh, grabs the frame of the door and starts jump kicking it, which is wild. Which <laughs> is not a, not a moment I saw coming at this point. It's wild. No yeah, at, at which point we discover that Sam, Sam has been home aloneing this shit. He hits her with the uh, dart from his uh, little crossbow. And then uh, he hits her with the uh, catapult, and then uh, makes a makes a run for the kitchen. Um, so proud of this kid. <laughs> he is so crafty. Like honestly, Kevin McAllister wishes he right. Was a kid. Yeah, if if this kid had been Kevin McAllister, those wet bandits would be dead. Yeah. So he he makes it down to the kitchen, and she uh, follows him down there and tries to coax him into coming with her, saying he just wants her to meet. He, she just wants him to meet his father, which is boy, some creepy shit to say. Is this when the neighbor comes over to check on them? It is, right? I think, yeah. I think before she starts delivering this line, I think he's in the kitchen and she goes to, goes to talk to the neighbor who is at the door and offering to help in any way she can and, you know, wants to let her know that she's there to help her and she, um, you know, can, can tell her anything and, yeah, A plus neighbor. Like yeah. the fact that yeah. she doesn't just take the phone call at face value; she goes and sees for herself. I'm like, yes, yes, Ruth. Yeah, she's she's great. We should all be so lucky to have a neighbor like her. Let's be honest. For real, for real. Honestly, my neighbors are literal frat bros. I would live for this neighbor. But yeah, this is, this does not have the desired effect. She uh, continues to you know try and coax him says she wants him to meet his dad at which point he stabs her in the leg with a steak knife and takes the fuck off <laughs> into the basement Sam getting stuff done yeah. yeah good good with the knife too at first i thought he actually <clears throat> stabbed her in the stomach which i was like oh my god yeah. but um he's just slowing her down he's getting himself some space he was probably like looking up where all the arteries are so he made sure he wasn't severing anything major like yeah he knows his shit don't no don't mess with Sam. Sam will go like Sam is Batman levels of prep preparation. There, there's yeah. like a there's a cut scene where he calls the doctor from before and is like, Hey, where can you stab somebody? And they'd be fine. <laughs> right before they left the, the hospital, he's like, Hey, um, just real quick. It's for a school assignment, but like you can you stab somebody, somebody would you in the leg or can you imagine if Danny Torrance had this ability? Like if he had this <laughs> this amount of like just ingenuity. I mean, Danny Torrance had his own stuff, but um, it's like straight Amazing. up stabbed Jack Nicholson. I can't remember his dad's name. It's Dad Jack Torrance. Nicholson, Jack Nicholson. That movie was was a documentary about da- Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I think his name is Jack in that movie, though, right? It that is, is. true. That's true because Jack Nicholson can only play characters named Jack. It's, it's like contract. Jackie Chan. Like he. <laughs> He was supposed to be in that movie oh, before God, they gave part to Robin Joker's Williams. Jack Nap- is that why Joker is Jack Napier? <laughs> yep. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Jeremy. We totally talked over your fantastic, fantastic joke. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, he's supposed to be in that movie before they gave the part to Robin Williams. You know, Jack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would have been. And then they were like, well, we couldn't get him, so um, let's just have him do good as it gets, and we'll just. Uh... Oh. <laughs> A wild movie in which anyone would ever pick uh, 
Jack Nicholson over Keanu Reeves. I feel like Anger Management, a movie where Jack Nicholson and Adam Sandler are just screaming at each other for two hours, feels like a prototype version of Uncut Gems. Yeah, so uh, Amelia tries to follow him into the basement and hits several of his Home Alone traps, gets knocked out. When she comes to, he has tied her up in the basement and is, is trying is king. to... king. That is some king shit right there. Yeah. He's, he's, got, he's got her pretty well tied up. He's trying to get her to, to let go of the Babadook. Uh, he gets a little too close, and she gets one of her hands free and starts choking him and is Ugh. just barely able to will herself to stop in time to not kill him, but then vomit up black stuff, which uh, we know from watching Jennifer's body means there's <laughs> you know some sort of possession involved. Never, never yes. a good sign. Yeah, yeah. Ne- needles and ooh, flesh. And the, I could the next... do with never seeing black vomit again. I could do without it. Yeah, and, and we see them coming out of the basement. I mean, they're worse for wear, but she seems uh, significantly less possessed. Everything's going great. <laughs> it's going to be fine. On the scale of possession, she is much less. Yeah, she looks the amount of tired you should be after all of this happened instead of like manically attempting to murder people. And everything's going great until an unseen force just grabs her son and yanks him up the stairs. And she has to to chase this uh, psychically maneuvered boy who is then thrown on the, the bed. And he she runs to the bed to uh, help him. And uh, they have a, a for real face-off with the Babadook here, which is, it is unclear entirely what the Babadook is other than just a thing in the darkness that is screaming at them and making dragon noises from Warcraft. <laughs> um, I, I did have in my notes, like, literal, is this Jurassic Park sound effects? Uh, the answer is no. It's a Warcraft 2 sound effect. Because I thought I recognized it, having played Warcraft 2 a lot as a kid. Um, and then I, uh, it was in the trivia that it is a, a dragon noise for the <gasps> one of the dragon units from Warcraft 2. I love that. This is when... Damned. It became impossible for me, the audience member, to deny the existence of the Babadook, which was good because up until the point really where black goo was getting vomited and Sam was getting thrown around like a telekinetic ragdoll, I was really like, I did think it was about sleep deprivation and depression. And they had that like, oh no, am I the chip? <laughs> <laughs> Just gaslighting her the whole time. Like, am I like, like, no, no, it's all in your head. There's no actual Duke. Like, oh, no, I'm the chip. <laughs> uh, and then we realized we were all chips all along. <laughs> yeah. And the, although, like, chip. this is one like of my this. favorite scenes in the movie because the point where, like, it tries to take the kid from her and she grabs the kid and, like, it roars at her and she roars back at it. Yes. It's, like, such a great moment. We and that was it. in the that was in the um the short film the so a lot of this scene was also it was sort of a mirror of the short sort of an enhanced version of the short film which read very differently because we didn't see her be like super toxic she was just like but she she defended the kids so although i think that the uh the the roaring back you know after all of this other stuff happened it wasn't as like defiant in the same way that, you know, like you see these heroic characters that are, you know, um, like Ripley, you know, like close your eyes, baby. It, you know, it, it was, it was, there was a little punch removed because she had, she was the one who had been so toxic before and she was the one who had, had you know, almost killed her, her son. And then suddenly she's yeah. like, okay. But I mean, there's, 
definitely reasons for that. There's, you know, it, it still tracks as part of the themes of the movie, but you know, it didn't unmake everything that came before. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Sam says earlier in the movie, I'll save you if you save me. Yeah. And that's and then what he ends throws up happening. That, he throws that back at her too when she's possessed where he's like, you promised you'd protect me. Oh, no. oh, oh poor Sam. Sam will just break your heart over and over again. He really will. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then the uh, whatever it is, the Babadook rushes down the stairs and into the uh, basement. She, she runs after it and uh, can't get in the basement. The basement is locked. And then uh, that's like, that's the end of this part. We get a, a brief flash forward scene after this, <clears throat> which is, you know, there things seem to be better and they're out, you know, cleaning up the, the yard. And Sam is collecting worms, and putting them in a bowl. Amelia is preparing to take them down to the downstairs. And Sam asks if he can come and see how, it. And she says, you know, how maybe many, how many things do you think they tried to feed the Babadook before they settled on worms? <laughs> they, they, yes, they definitely like, were like, huh, it won't eat the weird porridge. Okay. Um. I feel like Sam just knows. Like, hey, Babadook, we brought you a BLT. You want the BLT? And it just fucking throws it across the basement. <laughs> There's a seed of her just being like, you, you have to at least try it before you throw it across the basement. <laughs> There's a whole cutscene like a pop song of them. You have to take two <laughs> bites, and stuff. then if you don't like it, I'll get you something else. Oh, amazing. Ice cream? Yeah. Sam, Sam just writes a book at some point, The Care uh, and Feeding of Your Ravenous Babadook. That really is her only go-to move, is just like, you want ice cream? <laughs> Sorry I emotionally abused you. Let's get ice cream. Have you heard of ice cream? So she takes this down, and uh, the thing, you know, takes a run at her and roars at her, but she uh, is is unaffected and goes back upstairs. Um, in fact, tells Sam that it's uh, it's relatively quiet today. I would love to know how noisy it is on other days. Right? Right? <laughs> that scream is the quiet one. This is the point where it feels most like a metaphor of, of any of it, and mm-hmm, I yeah. like. This is, I think, the point where a lot of, we've talked about a lot of movies, I talked about Lights Out and stuff like that, that have this like metaphor of mental health in the center that just right. doesn't work. Um, yeah. You know, that it fails in, you know, the end of the movie of dealing with mental health. And I think this is like the rare occasion where it felt right to me that like yeah. you don't, you can't get rid of the Babadook. It's yeah. there with you forever. It's just a matter of like managing it and, yeah. you know, keeping it, keeping it down there and, you know, knowing that it's there, uh, not, not forgetting about it because it's always there. Um, right. You know, just like. And the some days are better than others. And yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah. where the movie became brilliant for me. Like watching all of this was, you know, that was the payoff that, that a lot of other horror movies like, you know, like hereditary that really don't have where it was really incredible message about you know all of all of these traumas never really leave you you know the grief and and it's not just the grief but it's also the trauma from that the, that toxic behavior the abuse that that um Sam suffered yeah um the the things that Amelia did to him and it, it it's they they will never be rid of it but they can treat it it really yes. was a powerful ending imagery. 
Mm-hmm. And then in the same moment too, she reaches over and like gently touches the bruise on his neck and he's like, it's getting better, which, you know, everything, all, the whole, yeah, yeah, that whole ending. It's and getting fact- better. It's not better, but it's getting better. Yeah. And and she's more uh, open to his like uh, hobbies. And- oh, she's supporting him. She's like making it, helping with like target practice with the awesome ass dart yes. crossbow. Yeah. <laughs> and then also that scene where they're they're talking to the the service workers and yes. they're both very like confident just about how they're, they're very up i don't, I don't want to say confident but very upfront about just about how much they struggle and how open and how you know yeah. basically broken they've well, been it's also like, like they talk very openly about oscar yeah. yes because this is the scene where he once again says the thing that would have been awkward early on where he's like this is my first ever birthday party and she just instead of like before she doesn't deny it she explains it and she's like yes that's because his father died like she she, this is the first time she really owns that story at all yeah Yeah. the line that hits me with a lot of impact too that like felt I, i don't know bears some discussion is that line that she gives to him about uh he asks if he can see it and she says you know when you're older which it feels like you know that's it's some some amount of discussion of like the fact that you know when when he's older he's going to have to learn how to you know deal with this stuff himself and learn how to right. keep his own his own personal babadook contained right i think that makes sense yeah i think for <laughs> keeping on our our trend other than Kevin in the woods, which God knows, it it seems like actually a hopeful ending again. Not necessarily yeah, bright and happy, a, but hopeful. We certainly did take a turn right off a cliff with Kevin in the oh, woods. Oh yeah, I mean, ending. definitely a hopeful movie. I mean, to me, the ultimate message of the movie is that grief can't be conquered or defeated, but it can be accepted and lived with and moved on from. Ultimately, for me, that's kind of the thing here is like, they can't beat the Babadook, but they can refuse to let it beat them. You know, which yeah. is ultimately mm-hmm. what she does is like it has it has them in a corner and she just stands up to it and screams in its face and refuses to let it beat her. So <laughs> I guess no, I this this leads uh to the the first time I feel like we're really gonna deliver on this section of the uh the questions, which is boy, how did you feel after watching this movie? drained uh so tired existentially you just wanted to stare at the ceiling and think about nothing for a while this, this was when the first time i saw it i remember like this is when i put on this list because i didn't feel like for all the horror movies that we talked about that we dealt with much that was genuinely scary and this is the last That's movie true. i remember watching that just fucked me up <laughs> oh i felt that good old-fashioned like a horror movie dread and creepiness and like i just yeah. it just kind of sent me all those moments of just being like ah just sheer creepiness like that good terror it somehow yeah. balances the like scariness of a monster movie which it basically is a monster movie with the like dread of the psychological horror um yeah which is is maybe like why i don't like hereditary as much as i like this movie because hereditary was just just the horror just the like feeling bad at the end of it there was no i mean also there's, yeah. there's no uplift at the end of that but there's also no like good scare in there there's just a lot of like oh yeah. no yeah everything yeah. it's just a bunch of bad shit happening and then 
you know, if there was a message and then it's over. Yeah. And like any sort of like, it, it sort of dances on the edge of this message about grief and, and trauma, but then it doesn't say anything with it. And it just because like, Oh, look at this demon. And you know, spoilers. But um, <laughs> I, with, with the uh, Babadook, it was definitely not a fun movie. It's not something that I would no. watch a lot. Um, I'm glad I watched it, yeah. but and I think it's a work of art, certainly. But uh, and I think it's very effective as at what it at what it does. But it was not something that I had any fun with. No, 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 no. not a. Fun. It's definitely reminds me of like us in that it's a movie that has a lot to say, great, well explored themes. That's creepy as hell. Like it's it's a fine wine. It's a fine mm-hmm. vintage of horror movie. But it's not something that is going to be one of my, you know, like, say, like, no. something like Jennifer's Body or Evil Dead 2, where I'm like, ooh, I gotta watch this every October. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. I probably will never watch this movie again, but I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, this is this is one that, like, literally the first time I watched it, I was, like, having insomnia issues, and it, oh, it hit no. a little close to home. And uh, this time I was like, let me... Let me try this again and see if it's still scary. And I'm I'm glad to see that it still was scary. Did stick with me for good reason because this is one that to answer this third question has kept me up at night at different times. You know, has definitely been something that I've thought about. Not necessarily in like a worried that yeah. the Babadook is gonna creep out of the shadows kind of way, but definitely in a like thinking about it in an existential way has <laughs> stuck with me. Yeah. This would I, yeah. probably oh go ahead. No, you first. Okay. This this one probably would have kept me up at night if I already didn't have like X number of things keeping me up. <laughs> Fair. That was basically what I was gonna Mood. say too. Yeah. Like I, I think this would have kept me up at night, except that uh Ben saved me and was like, Do not watch it last night, which was my intention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you, I watched it before election coverage yesterday. So honestly, I was like, I'm gonna watch it instead of election coverage, and Ben was like, No. <laughs> I, t- I, t- I told Chris that has some big, uh, my anxiety is acting up. I'm going to watch Uncut Gems to calm down. I misunderstood what this movie was when I said that. I was like, I like a good scare to help my anxiety. And then I watched this movie today and I was like, this is not helping my anxiety. It's pushing it over the edge. Nope. Yeah, that was, it was uh, with, and this, like, I think it would have been a lot more like when I watched Hereditary, you know, my, my eraser head loving ass was like, so upset by it for a week and i was like ranting on facebook and you know all this kind of stuff and that one actually kept me up a lot and i think it, you know i would have had the same uh reaction um it would have upset me for the same amount of time i also yeah. when i when i saw hereditary i was i was poised to take care of a cousin of mine who was going to come visit and and stay with us and they have um dietary restrictions and so that whole bit with the girl and hereditary mm. you know Mm. really like i know where you're talking about jeremy where you're like you know you've got insomnia and you're taking care of kids and you know suddenly it hits home and babadook however i would recommend over uh hereditary like if you want to watch a movie that's a work of art that is about uh mental health and about grief and and um processing that grief and also a very well done scary horror movie I would I would definitely recommend that. I I think in terms of what's going on in the Babadook, um, you know, is the Babadook real? Is it a manifestation of the trauma? 
Um, you know, I think either thing could be possible, but this, the, the metaphor is very clear. I think metaphors like that are really helpful for people who are also trying to process their, their, their issues. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting because I had never seen this movie, right? But when I do therapy with people who have anxiety and depression, I often use the shadow in the corner whispering things to you metaphor. And after watching this, I was like, huh, <laughs> there it is. Mm-hmm. It's right there. It's a lot. Um, let's tackle our, our questions here. Uh, so we can let's do it. <laughs> can wrap this up. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat a little bit and skip to the second one immediately because how did this movie treat people of color and race? It didn't. There's no there's no squints yeah. no, looks around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it didn't deal with race at all. Which I think this is this might actually be the kind of movie where I I don't really have a problem with that because there's all of about eight characters in this movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, I always, especially when it comes to like non-American movies, I always approach it with a sense of this is not from a country I'm from. It's not a culture I'm familiar with. I don't know what the issues and context surrounding it all is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't. I never wanna. I don't. It's. It's again. Again, this movie is not talking about race in any way, shape, or form. And I don't think it needs to really. I mean, in this case. No. It's a very isolated story, and I think that's yeah. part of it. Though, so. yeah, it definitely um, reminded me of like a Blumhouse horror film, and how much it was kind of like constrained to the house, but how mm-hmm. much it succeeded in making the house such like a claustrophobic, horrifying character in its own right. Um, so, I guess the uh, the next question here is: uh, Is this uh, work feminist? I think it is um, in a different way than we've seen so far um, in that it's commenting a lot on the pressures that women are facing, like the, the idea of caring for elders and children, the idea that all of the pressure is put on you, that you have to do the emotional labor. I, I think it's commenting a lot on those things in really smart and interesting ways that, yeah, I think it's feminist. Yeah. I, I think it's, much less, you know, kind of does the lead women character have like agency? Is she like a good character? Mm-hmm. Like, it's definitely much less the way we've been talking about, say, like Evie in The Mummy yeah. or um, Dana in uh, Cabin in the Woods. To me, it's much more about like, it's not so much about the character, it's much more about the themes yeah. of uh, the movie. And the movie's themes are so completely and like and thoroughly about pure like feminine topics like the the, just all the issues around motherhood specifically like it's such it's just such a horror movie that is again if good horror speaks to real fears it's so it's coming from yeah. What feels like a very true place of motherhood, of like fears around motherhood. The enemy all along was heteronormative patriarchal family structure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was what she was trying to get over really a lot of the time yeah. and, and those pressures. Um, I think that, yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, definitely a big feminist angle. It being about womanhood um, mm-hmm. and, or facet thereof. Um, and also the, the struggles also, uh, in a in a cultural of or like i should say a um a group of women 
or, um, you know, women with other women. Um, mm. Most of the characters in the movie, like, were women. The the neighbor and Claire being sort of these um, opposing forces, both women, that that needed to be addressed by by Amelia in certain ways. So, and and I think that one thing that I really appreciate uh, when something is as feminist uh as this movie is is when it's not just about empowering the characters the Mm -hmm. the women it's about really expressing things that we don't usually see you know addressing the complexities of those characters and of those of those people you know and and especially as someone as as a yeah as a woman who is you know married and and people keep asking me when I'm going to have kids. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's one of those where I'm like, eh. that element of the movie, I mean, not for not having kids. I mean, that element of the movie really did hit home. So, you know, you also don't need to have kids to to really feel struggles and, um, you know, have it hit home like it yeah. did. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we talked a lot about last week about the the dynamic that's pointed out in horror movies of the you know of the virgin and the whore and Mm -hmm. how they point it out and they don't do anything with it and i think like amelia is such a like round and interesting character there's so much going on so much which is unsaid um you know she is complicated she has got issues but she is also just like you you're not asked by the movie to hate her for being for having difficulty for Uh, you know being so at some point far gone in this i i've I've got some trouble forgiving uh what happens to the dog but and her uh, attempted strangling of her own child i mean this there's a lot that she does but i mean it's also um apropos of the theme yeah i mean amelia's character there is no standard categorization to put her in. There is no stock trope that her character represents. She is a fully realized, wholly unique uh, main, main character. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, usually the question we ask here is, is how does uh, the movie treat its female characters? And I think in the case of Amelia, um, you know, played by Essie Davis, that, like it, that answers that question. She is very round and interesting. Claire is sort of necessarily flat in the story, as is, is Miss mm-hmm. Roach to some extent. Um, because they're not really in the story that much. They're just, yeah. you know, if anything, it's, forces acting on her from outside. It's mm-hmm. it's all about uh, Amelia and Sam. They're the characters and the Babadook. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, I guess the the other really big question here is uh, going to be how does it deal with mental illness and people who are dealing with mental illness? I think that, I mean, I think we've talked about it the whole way through, right? Yeah. I think it mm-hmm. deals with it incredibly well. I think whether you see it as depression or grief or combination thereof, which is kind of how I see it and trauma thrown in there, like it, it deals with it incredibly well. I think it's also a really interesting and well done depiction of uh, special needs and being neurodivergent in some way. Um, while not actually naming that for Sam, I think it depicts it really well. I agree. I think that especially with Sam, um, not being addressed, not being pigeonholed, 
you know, mm-hmm. as, as a, representing a one particular, you know, neurodivergent, uh, um, condition and the, the, yeah, like I, we were talking about the, uh, the depression, the grief, the trauma, um, and the fact that it actually offers a, a narrative. It's not, it's not a movie that is just like, this is horrible. Cause I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of horror movies. There's a lot of dramas. There's a lot of, of, of stories out there that are about, um, really horrible bad things happening and then the the message is isn't this bad um and you know and then on the opposite spectrum there's uh those movies that say well you can you know anybody can overcome it um you know just with friendship friends we made along the way or whatever and um not a lot of what yeah. if the real Baba Duke was the friends we made along the way? <laughs> right? Yeah. So like it's it's really nice to see something that addresses just how severe and um and complicated those things those yeah. things are. That it's something that a lot of people don't really I mean, even those of us who see, you know, that that um understand and have experienced um mental illness and and um like various mental conditions um it's still a process um and it's not something that can go away it's just part of people and and who they are yeah i think i mean i've expressed this to some extent already but i i think um so much of how this deals with mental health is is good and interesting but what really shines for me is the ending um yeah. Because I can't, I keep talking about it, but I can't help thinking about and comparing it to Lights Out, which we haven't talked about on here, but I'm going to spoil the ending of it because <laughs> they're they're being haunted by this evil ghost, dead girl, demon thing, um, which turns out to be like tied to their mother's mind. It exists in a way that, you know, is uh, is very obviously indicative of mental illness in the story and um how they resolve this is in order to save her kids the mom shoots herself in the head and like i remember watching that and being like is that how this is the end of the movie like that can't be the message of this um and like the fact that this movie ends with them like with her literally just you know refusing to be beaten with them you know yeah you know clinging to each other and um you know with this thing living in the basement and knowing it's there and accepting that yeah. it's there and dealing with it and containing it is like such a powerful image of right. how mental health should yeah. actually work mm-hmm. absolutely it's an act it's an ending that feels empowering without being patronizing Yes. 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 It it fully acknowledges that her life will continue to be hard, um, but with while giving hope in quite a lovely way. Yeah, absolutely. Which brings us to there's there's really just one question of these left, which is uh, how does this deal with LGBTQIA plus uh, okay. issues and characters? Okay, Ben, are we ready? Are we ready to talk about <laughs> oh, the Babadook God. as icon for queer? Yes. Class? Yes. <laughs> We have honestly been so constrained 
this whole podcast, I would like to point out, we like <laughs> held it in until this moment. Uh, so the queer community has embraced the Babadook as a queer icon, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So if you don't know this story, uh, when Netflix, when Babadook was on Netflix, due to some sort of algorithmic error or honestly maybe it just wasn't even there maybe it was just something someone photoshopped and put up online i think it was fake yeah yeah uh so a really convincing fake of someone put the babadook in lgbt (laughs) uh plus movies and they were going oh therefore the babadook is gay and it It just took off from there and it's so interesting. So, you know, obviously it took off on Tumblr because, of course, yeah, of where course. people were like, okay, well, h- how is it queer then? And this, the, an- the analysis of getting into the, this character that is a mark for difference that is living in a, like, basically a closet. <laughs> and it's amazing. And at this point, there's been a person on RuPaul's Drag Race that did a drag as the Babadook. Like, that's amazing. I didn't hear about that. Holy shit, that's fantastic. I know. I love it. I love it. Um, and somehow, and I, I can't tell you how we got here, but somehow he is now shipped with Pennywise the Clown from it. <laughs> so we didn't do that. It was, it, that is a, an existing. Uh, yeah, no, that's a ship. I have seen the fan art. It is I believe a strong you. ship. It is it is sailing hard and strong. And I no, we didn't do this. Okay. We we wish we were this creative. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know, know how this wish happened. is the right word, but I do. You, do you remember last week when we spent a full half an hour trying to find any queer ship at all in Cabin in the Woods? <laughs> I still have to no. see this one. So. That was a search that went nowhere. Hey, we came Alas. up with an amazing one. You, you're yeah. wrong. An aggressively straight film. <laughs> this, however, is apparently queer. You know, I actually didn't get it. Well, I guess one, I hadn't seen it, but I hadn't done the deep dive yet. But as I started reading, by the way, some of those academic articles are about why this movie is queer. And I was like, huh, okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's anything actually queer about this movie, but I think there is something very relatable to the queer experience mm-hmm. in how Amelia feels that, uh, you know, and it's not the entirety of it, but a factor in just how exhausted and just emotionally yeah. numb she is, is the degree to which she feels crushed and stripped of identity mm-hmm. by societal mm-hmm. expectations on her. I would even say to Sam, Sam's struggles in this movie, the being dehumanized, the, you know, being seen as different and flawed and outcast i think that can be read as relatable as well yeah so i think there's themes that are relatable to queer experiences Mm -hmm. but is it intentional no yeah it's it's a it's a happy accident it's a it's a a bob ross cloud (laughs) i mean i think certainly like there's a lot thematically tied in you know the the keeping things buried in the basement, the loneliness yeah. and longing, the yeah. you know, not being able to to tell people how you actually feel and what you actually want, and you know, yeah. just pushing that down. I think, I think, in a way, we all have our own Baba Duke. In a way, I think we internalization. Do. Internalization uh-huh. was the Baba Duke. <laughs> in a way, yeah. suppressing your feelings is the is your own Baba Duke. Uh, I mean, that is text, isn't it? That is text. 
next time on our heart series on why you you have to show and babadook are the same story wait what i mean um. they're both stories where the main character uh is only able to solve their problems by being supernaturally empowered by finally accessing their own walled off emotions i mean we could say that about a lot of stuff it was it was definitely a reach but i'm here for this reach yeah, sure it's i mean Dale too you know yeah. <laughs> yeah the 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 um babadook is a queer icon you know the, if, if you look into it if you really really go in there i mean you could do a deep dive about the, the all the stuff that you guys said is, is brilliant about you know living up to standards and having to hide who you are and all, and and not being able to articulate the the pain that you feel but if we really get into the toxic elements of that Babadook, I don't know if I if I want him to represent gay rights. <laughs> um, no more than we want Pennywise to, to be clear. That's okay. Yeah, okay. Pennywise, yeah, the child murdering clown. I that's the context that I needed. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's, I don't, I feel like a movie could be more than one thing, I mean, right? It could be I, a brilliant <laughs> depiction <laughs> This is I such feel a, like the thing I'm about to say is so wild, but I'm about to say it anyway. I feel like I mean, we as the I feel like the queer community has been primed we've been given so to little. Very, we've been primed to very readily adopt and accept villainous figures. It's true. After growing up on Disney movies where the only queer characters were the villains, I'm like, yeah, Babadu, come on in, join Ursula. Let's <laughs> yeah. get get in here. Scar, move over. Yeah. <laughs> Far, you don't belong here. You're not in. Yeah. You're not part of this group. You're straight. Get out of here. As somebody who's a huge fan of Devil Man, I can. Uh oh. I've been watching Dragon. I've been watching Dragon Prince, and I'm getting a lot of personal mileage out of calling the main villain White Jafar. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that yet, but this is a. Uh, if he's anywhere near as kinky, I'm. I'm there. We love it. Uh, I mean, he's pretty yeah, kinky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's not not kinky. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh so uh the big question uh i i feel like we've kind of already answered this but uh i want to hear everybody's answer here was the movie good and would you recommend it it was good i would recommend it in a specific circumstance that somebody was prepared to watch it oh i i think it's a fantastic movie i absolutely loved it i would definitely recommend it uh just know it's a movie you're probably going new love, but very, very likely will only ever want to watch once. I think that's true. In yeah, case, I think. <laughs> Unless you're doing a horror podcast and yes. you need to watch it multiple times. If you're doing it for homework. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely recommend this movie to, it, it, again, like Chris said, very specific circumstances. Because I know a lot of people who would definitely not be able to watch this. No, um, no because of how real it is so you know we're getting into some very very real territory with this movie just like i've talked about with uh you know when we were talking about the mummy i recommended invisible man again it's a very specific like with trigger warnings recommendation there's a lot in this movie that uh, you have to be prepared to deal with you know pet murder not being the least of those things but yeah, yeah this, this was a movie a that i'm glad to have seen but didn't enjoy seeing so keep that in mind. <laughs> maybe like not a fun date night movie. Like maybe if you're settling down with your partner and you're like, let's kick in a horror movie. Like not this one. Okay. Yes, I think this one in hereditary away from. <laughs> yeah. I think that the best circumstance to watch this movie is if you're doing like a podcast or a dissertation about it. It's true. Yeah. 
If you could be in a position where you can talk through all of your feelings about it for four hours. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I think you should watch it. Uh, otherwise, that's a lot of terror and a lot of feelings that are going to bubble up inside you. Yeah, we already have own Babadook. If you are sitting we down, we already have so much of it. Your significant other, and you want to watch a you want to watch a movie that you're both going to enjoy, and it's going to be great to watch together. Just watch Midsummer together. No. <laughs> Those Why are you trying to end relationships? What are you doing? Those Swedish people talk too much. They're the most talkative Swedish people I've ever encountered. In the, it just took me right out, took me right out of the narrative. Uh, but yeah, obviously, um, I, I think it's good. I, I would definitely recommend it. But yeah, again, like very qualified recommendation. Um, speaking of recommendations, uh, if people have watched The Babadook and they want something else good, something else to enjoy that they would like, uh, do you guys have any recommendations for them? I do. So this is going to be my second Grady Hendrix recommendation. And the moment that I let you all know, I am trash for Grady Hendrix as a writer. Like he is, he's my go-to horror writer. Um, But his newest book is the Southern book club's guide to vampire slaying, which first of all, best title. Second of all, (laughs) is a just is, it's such a good title, but is a book about um, motherhood and protecting your children um and no one believing you because you are a housewife and no matter who you tell <laughs> police uh nobody <laughs> helps and you have to listen just, every movie and you have to just take it into your own hands in this case it's into the hands of you and your book club best friends and slay the vampire yourself and i am here for this i love it it's one of my favorites and it's fun though i mean how much existential dread are we talking about um on a on a babadook scale it's not nearly okay. <laughs> it does have it's some i will say it's only one <laughs> it's only one babadook duke um it's one of the deep knocks but uh it, it's there i mean there's definitely the dread there's definitely moments when you're like oh gosh she's calling the police again they're not gonna help you again lady what you doing but there's also lots of fun like ooh, the vampires on the roof who kind of scary so yeah so i would say in terms of uh Something that's more on the scary end of horror and also deals with themes of parenthood. Uh, I'm going to recommend The Quiet Place. I like that movie. Although that movie, again, has some, has some qualifiers in there. Because if uh, children in trouble is your thing that you cannot handle like it is uh, my wife's. Um, mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> children oh, children in not- danger is an ongoing problem with that movie from the first moment. Um, if you want a movie that is genuinely upsetting, but also a very interesting take on uh, society expectations and womanhood, The Witch, um, very different in terms of uh, time and place, but also very much about the, the horror of a family being toxic. And they're also Puritans. So, you know, we're already getting off on that foot there. <laughs> already um, scary. Yeah. That one, I think, in terms of upsettingness. <laughs> uh, is is up there with the Babadook, um, but it's a little bit more fanciful and uh, beautiful. Like much like the Babadook is a work of art, the Witch is a work of art. Yeah, the Witch was literally a movie I didn't like until the last minute. <laughs> the last minute of it, I was like, "All right, maybe I like this." Uh, for me, I think the uh, the first recommendation that came to my mind, uh, I was thinking more on the side of what Sam is going through and the, the boy sort of dealing with kind of having to fight their family to save their family from a uh, supernatural thing. 
and uh, a very uh, short novella that uh, I read a while back by Neil Gaiman called The Ocean at the End of the Lane. Yes. Um, I, I know some people have like feelings one way or another about Neil Gaiman, but uh, this was like, it hit that same sort of chord of deep, creepy, and very much had the same the same energy that Sam has of like trying to save your family and knowing that there's this thing that's after them and that you can't do anything about. Um, but, you know, just sort of struggling to try and do it anyway. It's a, it's a very deeply creepy book, but uh, probably, I mean, a bit more PG, PG 13 than Babadook. Yeah. Although Babadook is relatively low blood for a, uh, for a horror movie. Um, There's the scene that we, I don't think we mentioned, which is where the, the husband's head just kind of sliced off, sliced in half. Yeah. That's a gruesome moment. Yeah. Off putting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Ocean at the end of the day. You know how somebody gets decapitated and it's mildly off putting. (laughs) I mean, it's not even like through the neck. It's through like the middle of the head, you know, through the face, which is, oof. Yeah. Which is very upsetting. Really half-ass decapitation. (laughs) <laughs> don't you mean half head? yeah ocean at the end of the lane uh it's fun a little more on the actual supernatural side and less on the is this actually happening side um but yeah definitely worth checking out uh well that that brings us to the end of this let's start with uh emily emily do you want to let people know where they can find you online oh yeah um i'm i'm megamoth in a lot of places um megamoth on twitter mega underscore moth on instagram i have a website that i should update more which is megamoth.net i also have a patreon which is also at megamoth so come and see all ye drawings by me um i mostly draw sometimes i talk about stuff but mostly draw and uh, ben what about you uh you can as always find me on twitter at at ben the con uh you can find uh griffin galaxy's most wanted and heavenly blues uh, on digital at Comixology, and keep an eye out for Renegade Rule. I think the uh, pre-order link is up on Amazon. Uh, so uh, yeah, pre-order is always important. So Renegade Rule is going to be coming out uh, this spring. Awesome, and Chris. You can find me on Twitter at the Myth of Psyche. Uh, come talk to me about feminism and horror movies, as I'm doing constantly right now. You can also find my other podcast anywhere you're listening to this one, uh, Gotham Outsiders, where we talk about queerness in Batman, even when it's not there. It's always there. <laughs> it's always there. That's the secret. It was there all along. I'm always about down to talk about queerness where it might not otherwise be uh, prevalent. It's- yeah, and a, a shout out on that in the, the most recent episode, which I guess won't be the most recent by the time this comes out, but the episode from uh, November 4th actually features my uh, beautiful and amazing wife, Alicia Whitley, talking about uh, Arkham Asylum and how much she hates it when people reference Lewis, Lewis Carroll and <laughs> to try and seem deep and weird. She also adopted TJ and I, so I think you're our dad now. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That was a lot. No, it just suddenly happened. <laughs> well, now I can't yell things at you because I'll be, it'll be abuse or, you know, child Yeah, when now. you told me to go listen to a train earlier. <laughs> <laughs> no, technically, that, I mean, that could be like a relaxation tape for, depends how you feel about trains, I guess, since they sit in front of it. <laughs> but anyway. now you did. 
<laughs> anyway, I, I'm Jeremy. I'm, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at uh, jrome58. It's J-R-O-M-E-5-8. My comics coming out right now, by the, by the time this hits, most of uh, Marvel action chillers should be out, which is our spooky stories for uh, younger audiences in the Marvel Universe coming out from uh, IDW. And of course, there are nine volumes of Princeless, which uh, I write and Emily draws that are available on shelves right now. Uh, Ten is, is coming. And also, just in reference to the podcast, uh, you can follow us at um, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Prague Horror Pod, um, as well as we will have launched a Patreon at this point, which is uh, our Patreon is patreon.com slash progressively horrified. We're going to have all kinds of cool stuff, including uh, we're working on some exclusive content for listeners who are on the uh, the Patreon, and uh, we'll also be uh, working on cooking up some some t-shirts with our, our cool design that we use for our you know twitter logo and banner and all that with uh you know monsterized versions of myself and chris and ben uh but that wraps us up for today it'll be exciting <clears throat> or is exciting because you live in the future people listening to this <laughs> uh, well thank you for bearing with us in this very dark and soul-searching uh episode of of progressively horrified and we promise we'll make the next one funny. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Oh, Love you. All right. Time to pass out. Have Sounds a good great. night, everyone. Stay safe. Be well. Progressively Horrified is created and produced by Jeremy Whitley. This episode was written by Jeremy Whitley, Chris Carey, Ben Kahn, and Emily Martin. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and not intended to represent the intent or opinions of the filmmakers, nor do they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Colo 6 and was available royalty-free from Pixabay. You can become an important part of Progressively Horrified by becoming a member of our Patreon at patreon.com slash progressivelyhorrified. If you want to sponsor Progressively Horrified, please contact us via Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or email us at ProgressivelyHorrified at gmail.com. I'm so glad to be doing something other than looking at election results right now. I feel yeah. this. Yeah. I'm definitely bringing a weird energy to the podcast tonight, so prepare yourselves. Aren't we all? I don't think that we're any of us I mean, are not. I mean, yeah, is there any way to bring any other kind of energy? <laughs> I have been for the last several hours uh, grading while crying and listening to Panic of the Disco, so that's like the in- the energy I'm bringing. <laughs> Millennial. Hey, I listened to Lincoln Park too. <laughs> Oh, did you eat your avocado toast while you did this? <laughs> Look, old man. <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine The Crow starring Catherine O'Hara? <laughs> what a film. Holy shit. I watch a lot of anime, so I'm not really good at um, remembering real people. Um, You're fine. <laughs> I'm glad I recorded you saying that. No! <laughs> shit. <laughs> that's definitely making it into the trailer <laughs> oh, shit. well uh, I'll be going now 
Um, <laughs> this was fun. I don't know if anybody's going to listen to me after that. Uh, no, no, they'll put it in the after credits. That way they'll already have listened to you. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, all right. Um, and then they'll be like, wait a minute. <laughs> Doubt. By the way, are we going to talk about Mandy? Patankin? Patankin? Uh, <laughs> I assume you mean the film Mandy starring Nicolas Cage. <laughs> the horror film, you know? The horror the film. Horror, I have not podcast. watched it yet. I want to see <laughs> Mandy at some point. And Why are we the same person? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, now we have to talk about Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> Why? So, Why are seen Mandy? Person? Because how Another did you know that Mandy Patinkin was actually the Mandy in the movie? Another spinoff, aggressively Patinkin. Patinkin. <laughs> 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 Nicholas Cage is actually on a quest for revenge oh. because somebody murdered Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> All right, are we ready to talk about Baba Duke? I think so. Right, we haven't. Let's happen. We haven't introduced the show or each yeah. other yet. Yeah. Okay. Will, I'm warming up. You can't see me. But I've got my arms going like I'm one of the bushwhackers. Um, <laughs> I don't know if any if any of you understand what the bushwhackers are. It's a '90s pro or like '80s pro wrestling reference. <laughs> God, I don't. Yeah, I remember I no when. Idea. I mean, if I was going to summon a demon with somebody, I can think of worse people than Bridget Jones. Yeah, she seems like a... Wait, Bridget Jones? Is Bridget Jones a horror movie? Bridget Jones isn't Reese Witherspoon. But what <laughs> am right. I even talking about? <laughs> yeah, I'm, try, I'm like... My brain is not working, that's, sorry. That's Renee, that's Renee Zellweger. Zellweger. I'm talking about Renee Zellweger, yes. Sorry. <laughs> I will talk to Renee Zellweger as well. This is all going to be out. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the other three of us just short-circuited for a minute as we tried to get the reference. 